Ready, ready. You like movies? I watch a lot of movies, Paul. I know what I'm doing. Ooh, I like that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of the Spore the Warning podcast. I'm Christopher Schnazy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, where we like to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. But this is 2014 now, and we have to come together to recap the year of 2013, all the films we saw, and what we thought uh, were you know, the best, or our most favorites, or all that kind of good stuff. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was taking a drink. I, I thought Carson was going to answer first. I thought Steven would jump in. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm a little tired. Had to uh, kind of try to cram in a few rewatches last mm. night when making this list. Uh, but feeling good. Feeling good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling well. Uh, Steven texted me last night or this morning at like 2.30 a.m. <laughs> to ask if we can push back the record time. I, I almost responded to you right then because I totally woke up and I was like, I didn't know why I woke up, and I was like, what time is it? And then I saw I had a text message on my phone, I'm like, oh, Steven texted me. He must have just got out of a movie or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I was pretty busy. Uh, <laughs> but you should put your phone on silent, by the way. Everyone knows that is text etiquette. Yeah, come on, dude. Yeah, but it, 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 my phone is also my alarm clock, mm-hmm. and uh... I can't risk the the phone... Like basically the I use a particular everybody really cares about this is what they tune in for but uh mm-hmm. I use a special app um as my alarm clock because you know the built-in app the, isn't good like enough for me like the sleep app or something no it's uh it's called Rise okay um and <laughs> Rise and Rise again uh, this company uh, who makes the Rise app they updated a lot and sometimes when they updated it changes core functionality <laughs> or it doesn't work exactly the way it did right before the update and thanks to iOS 7's automatic updates um sometimes i don't wake up because the phone treats like the way it snoozes and stuff differently so i can't risk turning my phone on silent and having the alarm app override the silentness of the phone i mean Mm. i could turn on the do not disturb junk between you know the hours that steven's awake but it's just more work (laughs) than it's worth and usually i'll sleep through a single bleep but for some reason last night i was so like chewing over the movies of this year that uh it woke me up, and then I couldn't go back to sleep because I was thinking, like, ah, oh, dang it, what what's going to go on this list? Should I turn, roll over and keep trying to figure out stuff, or should I try to go back to sleep? But anyways, whatever. Was What is your Rise app? What How does it wake you up? Is this, like, a lot of Bane chanting? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Time to wake up, you know. Powerful answers to the uninitiated. Take this city. No, it's just a, it's, it's an alarm sound that is light enough that I can wake up without theoretically disturbing the rest of the people in my house, so. Mm. That is true. There are other people in your uh, studio. That's right. Um, I'm so dedicated to the podcast that I sleep in the studio, <laughs> you know. But how Janitors, are you doing? Well, really, like the that. studio is soundproof, so it shouldn't, um, shouldn't bother anyone else. Yeah, yeah, of course, soundproof. Yeah. Um, but anyways, how are you doing today, Carson? I'm, I'm doing well. I got you f- my, I, you know, I did my, my, my pre-ritual, pre-episode rituals, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. 
So you won't need to run during the middle of this. I hope I hope not. I did like get this coffee because I I was pretty tired. Also stayed up till four in the morning watching some stuff. So yeah, um, yeah. Good times. You guys. Hopefully, are crazy. I don't have to like make a pee run or something. Yeah. Well, I tried to get some good sleep because I wanted to wake up early and watch another film right before recording which i did so you guys tried to get it in right before going to sleep yeah i mean i, w- I want to wake up with a clean palate you know talk, exactly. talk about movies don't don't be reeling from the last one you watch right True. but to be completely fair i took a nap at like 10 o'clock so, <laughs> so i was awake <laughs> well you know like maybe i was watching a movie as a chaser to make sure that i wasn't still reeling from the last thing i watched Mm. okay that, that could be it that is possible there you go just a, a little shot of grown-ups too to clear out whatever, <laughs> <laughs> exactly whatever thought-provoking i can't i can't wait to, to hear uh i can't wait to hear what you know movies that steven rated from Redbox. or did, <laughs> did you do your did you do your like annual Redbox raid where you're just like no I gotta no so this year i didn't thing. do my I, I normally do a raid of the worst movies i can find yeah uh, try to watch all of them in the like two days leading up to this uh this year I couldn't do it. There were there were too many good movies that I wanted to watch. So uh, doesn't it suck when there's a lot of good stuff out and you can't make time for terrible the terrible things? Ones. There's just too much good stuff. I hate it. If there was a Nomeo and Juliet <laughs> this year, I did not watch it. I was hoping there's gonna be a Nomeo and Juliet I, too. I think I well there is coming soon. Yeah, yeah there actually is. Um, oh God. We'll have to cover it when it comes out. Uh, I, I think I do have this year's Nomeo and Juliet though. Even though I never saw Nomeo and Juliet, I think I can replace it for this year i'm assuming you're talking about the wolf of wall street no no <laughs> unfortunately not i kid i kid oh uh, sorry yes well anyways what do you say we uh we begin talking about these films guys okay yeah sounds good all right well uh, let's go around real fast and just sort of explain uh, i guess in, in general what you thought about this year as a whole um and also how you went about comprising your list Let's start with you, Carson. Um, well, I thought this year was a, a great year for movies. Uh, last year, I thought there were a lot of movies that had a lot of potential, and they ended up disappointing uh, extremely. I think like every last year, every every other episode was either you or me going like, "Well, I'm underwhelmed again." Like I was excited, <laughs> but I again, I'm disappointed. Um, I feel like this year, though, uh, was a lot stronger in terms of, like, mainstream movies and also uh, a lot smaller movies. I kind of talked about it in Wolf Wall Street, but there's a lot of, like, what I call the cocaine movies. So a lot of, like, <laughs> yeah. off-the-wall off the wall movies, and I think, like, uh, that was what made this year put it over the edge. Um, and, like, as for my list, uh, I tried to pick movies that i didn't really talk about on the show uh a so we could try to avoid having like duplicates and b just to like try and champion some of the lesser known or movies that i thought i felt were kind of overlooked so yeah but my number one film is uh that stayed the same but like the rest i tried to fill with uh like you know like i said movies that kind of were overlooked and stuff Gotcha, Steven? Uh yeah. I mean, I I feel the same actually. I think in prior years, I would always kind of struggle to find five that I wanted in a top 10 or in a top 5 list 
to the degree that I could like 100% stand behind it without qualifying it with, well, it's flawed in this way and this way, but it should be up there. Um, and, and this year I found I had the opposite problem. I mean, there are, there are a lot of movies that I really enjoyed yeah. um, that I really would have wanted to give a shout out to. I might, I might even cheat and throw out a bunch of like honorable mentions when we're done and force you to put them on the website <laughs> just so. <laughs> Be, because I think there are more than five films that I really would advise people to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, especially this year for me. So like you, Chris, I'm kind of a sappy hearted. <laughs> I, don't even know, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Pansy. <laughs> um, yeah. And th- this was a really good year for like charming indie movies. I mean, the, yeah, I, I can think of at least like six off the top of my head that that I loved watching that just couldn't make this list. Um, same thing for like kind of powerful thriller type films. There were a lot of good ones there, big blockbusters, just everything. I, I felt like it was a really well-rounded year. Um, yeah. yeah, totally up my alley in terms of the type of movies that they had. Maybe more than any other year that I've done this podcast. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the uh, movies that are being touted, like for the Oscar movies, the Oscar bait films, like actually delivered in terms of like, yes, they deserve to have all the praise and and whatnot. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Well, for me, this uh, making this list has been pretty big struggle. Um, I mean, in, in years past, it's it's kind of easy for me to like, sh- like, like by the end of the year, I know for sure, like these things are of my top and there's usually one film that like I know for fact, like I love over everything else. And then there's a there's a couple of really good ones, um, but it's not really been too hard um, this year, uh, like my overall view of the year I like during the year, we have a bunch of people who are like, oh, what's like the best thing that's out in theaters right now or you know, what's, you know, what's a few good things that you've seen recently. And like, I kind of pull up an app on my phone that I have that just has everything I've watched and I scroll through it. And in doing this, partly because I'm like trying to pick something that I think that whoever's asking me might like over necessarily what I liked, I got the impression during the year that the overall, that overall, this wasn't necessarily the greatest year. Um, Not that there was a lot of bad stuff, but it was a lot of middle ground stuff like you know a standard distribution like it was a big swell in the center of things that were like pretty good and then a couple things that were really good at, at you know the top and then just a couple things that were actually legitimately terrible at the bottom um and, and when i sat down to make my list this year i just pulled up a list of everything that came out and i went down the list and i added everything that i thought was really good um to index cards and i ended up with only nine that like i thought were like really great and just looking at those nine, it was really easy to just throw away four and be like, well, this is my list. And it felt really cheap. And I was like, no, I don't like the way I just comprised this list. It was, it required no work at all. So I switched to using like Flickchart and deleting all my data from their system and then starting by just comparing films of this year. And I did like close to 700 rankings <laughs> and the list that comprised, I was like, oh, this showed me that there's a lot of stuff I genuinely liked this year and it kind of gave me an overall positive outlook on the year as a whole but then I still was like well there's these things just the way their algorithm works um, there's things that were like ranked really low 
simply because they hadn't randomly been selected to compare against other things or when they were selected to compare against things, they were being compared against things that were so terrible that they didn't earn enough weighting from that win to push them up in the list. So in the end, I kind of just sort of <laughs> threw that out anyways and went back to a version of uh, my original list. And... Well, you know, though, I, I mean, I know you know because you told me that you can select a thing you feel was out of place and then compare it against the others. What? I, 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 I wound up doing that a lot with Flickchart. I hate you for introducing me to it. I, <laughs> I, well, I think he... I also hit about 700 by the time I was done. Wait, he... While I was working yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, no, no one. Uh, but no, but see, here's the thing don't, is... Don't tell my boss. I, I would... <laughs> I would be like, why is this movie like 55th on my list? This doesn't make any sense. So I'd click it and then I'd be like, it's better than, it's better than, it's better than, it's better than. And then it would hit one and I would just refresh the browser and not do that comparison because I was like, nope, I'm not going to compare these two films. <laughs> um, so it was like, it, it felt like if I, if I went and picked specific ones, then it would just shove them all to the top anyways. And I'd reach the point where I'm like, basically I got to the same place I was beforehand so it's like when we get to honorable mention, I can just throw out some things that are in my top 10 based on flick charts thing. Um, but yeah, my list is, it basically comes down to the films that spoke to me the most and one film that I think is undeniably good. <laughs> so people can just take my list for what it is. And there's only one of those films that I would actually argue with somebody. And besides that, it's a personal list. So in such a long-winded answer... My list is very complicated. <laughs> I, I also predict, actually, that the overlap between our lists will be fairly low this year. Uh, because I do think there was a wide spread of good movies that spoke to yeah. different people. Yeah. Uh, we'll, yes. we'll find out. But I'm, I'm definitely going to try to squeeze in a few honorable mentions of things that I'm annoyed that I couldn't fit in a top <laughs> five. Yeah. And also... <laughs> The, the other film that isn't the one that necessarily spoke to me like the other ones, but that I think is undeniably good, I still don't know where on the list I want to put it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I know what you're talking about, and it, I did not put it on my list, but it we'll could, see. It could be fifth, just so that it's in the list. It could be first, because I want it to be. It could be in the middle, arbitrarily. Like, I don't, I don't even know where to put it. Um, While we were sitting here talking, I bumped one thing off the list and put another one on. So, uh, very, <laughs> con very conflicted. Last minute changes. We're, we're working in the moment right now. Yes, exactly. I think, I think I'm going to put the film at number three. <laughs> it's like, guys, I just changed my number one movie right now. It is Jack the Giant Slayer. <laughs> How did you guess? Oh, it was so good. Uh, just that, that relationship between the guy and the princess and the beanstalks yes. and like, the, the CG was so good in that movie. It was it was a, a spectacularly good. I really like the uh, the head that was mounted on the shoulder of the one giant. Yeah, uh, right. I like when his eye came out. All Undeniably right. good. Undeniably. Well, uh, let's just get into this then before I keep rambling on about why I don't like my list, but I like it. And uh, Carson, why don't you start us off with what your fifth favorite or best or... The fifth film you want to talk about, what is that? <laughs> okay, um, well, I'm going to go ahead right off the bat and cheat uh, because I think that these two movies are so uh, connected and they have to be discussed at the same time. Um, well, one is a film called uh, that I feel like was very, very overlooked. It was called Berberian Sound Studio, and uh, 
This is a film that stars Toby Jones, and uh, he's a sound guy, and he's hired to work on a Italian horror film. <laughs> and he comes into, and he, he his background is working on like children's TV shows, and he comes into this studio, and it's a complete uh, change uh, in, especially like the work environment. Everyone's just like a total dick. And it's like a very, it feels very real in the sense that like there are these kind of production companies that operate like this. And he's such a sweet, nice guy. And he's thrust into this world of depravity. And um, it's just a complete 180 from what he's used to. And uh, it's set during, uh, it's it's kind of like, uh, we don't know when it's exactly set, but it's definitely either uh, late 70s, early 80s. So all the uh, sound is being done the old school way uh, on, you know, tape and reels and stuff like that. And uh, it's just really cool because it gives you like a behind the scenes look into like that world. So like, you know, you see like Toby Jones, like, whacking watermelons you know for foley and stuff like that um you know recording that and it's really cool uh how they recreate all of that and it's a very very loving tribute to like that style of horror like the italian horror like dario argento and lucio fulci and lumberto bava like all those dudes who made like those crazy italian horror movies back in the day in that time period um, and it's crazy because you never get to see the horror movie that they're making. You just hear it. But it sounds so frightening. And the movie itself isn't really scary, but it becomes very frightening because it like starts to blur reality and fiction. Um, so th- this, is, this is a narrative film, right? It's a narrative film, okay. yeah. Like It's definitely a narrative movie. And uh, the period recreation of that is really cool. Um, and that's why I think the movie that's like tied very closely to it that also came out this year was a movie called computer chess, which is also takes place during the same time period, uh, like early eighties. And, uh, except instead of film, this is about, uh, computers obviously. And it's like this group of like hardcore, uh, engineers who are testing out, uh, this computer that can play chess for like the very first time. So they're like, it's all these like dudes from different schools get together at a convention over a weekend and uh, they play chess with their computers that they've designed or like, you know, they're testing out. And uh, it's all shot in like old school, like 80s video. It's in like 4-3 black and white. And like the period recreation is like amazing in this movie. Like everyone totally looks the part and everyone is just like so into the material and again it's a very loving tribute to like that kind of material because like you have to know that this guy like is obviously very fascinated with this subject matter and like to me like i don't really know much about computers but like something about this movie was just like completely fascinating and just the way that it plays out it's very mundane but it's like very interesting at the same time and all the characters have like their own quirks and again it starts to blur like kind of reality and fiction toward the end. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, so yeah, like I think like watching those two movies together would be like a really great double feature <laughs> and they're both on Netflix instant. So you should check them out. Inter- I almost watched a uh, computer chess last night. Actually, that, that was one of the ones that barely did not make the cut in my head of cramming it in before the review. 
because I was told by a lot of people actually that that was a really good film. Uh, yeah, so I'll have I have to check it out. Yeah, I think you guys would like it. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, Bear in mind I... that I know a lot about computers. Yes, and I how think... we make them play chess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You might have like a I don't know. You might get like a deeper enjoyment out of it. I don't know. But like it is like one of the nerdiest movies I've ever seen. Like the the fact that like like I said, I think the guy like knows like a lot about that kind of world and like is very passionate about it and uh it, it comes through in waves you can you can feel it it would be funny if like steven watches it and the entire film falls apart because it's not accurate to computer programming <laughs> or anything like that <laughs> that would be pretty funny um, to me it feels were, accurate there was at least one film this year that i thought that might happen with and it did not <laughs> so i i don't think i'm too too stubborn about reality when it comes to programming <laughs> all right uh steven do you want to go on to your number five yeah so speaking of that film um <laughs> so uh, this is a movie one of the very last ones that i watched this year actually had to squeeze to fit it into the 2013 list um and that was a film called her by spike jones never um, heard of it <laughs> yeah never <laughs> never heard of it her <laughs> uh, i don't know if you saw my arrested development joke. i, I anyway. did i did yeah. so, so anyway th this is a movie egg for anyone who who maybe hasn't heard of it yet um starring uh walking phoenix uh who falls in love with his operating system um a computer played by scarlett johansson and going into it as a person who works in artificial intelligence i was prepared to have this movie be ruined by its portrayal of AI. Like, like, like it's so easy for a sci-fi movie to just completely take me out if they, uh, you, you know, if they do something that I know as a person who works in this field could never happen or, yeah. or just portray it in, in a way that, like, betrays a misunderstanding of how it works. Yeah. Um, and this movie did not suffer from that at all. Uh, and, and of course, the, the this was a sci-fi in the traditional sense. Uh, in the sense that it does build a world uh, and develop it, this universe in, I don't know what time it's supposed to be in L.A., uh, you know, a few decades later. Uh, but I thought it did a wonderful job of showing life in the future for this very isolated, uh, very kind of lonely character yeah. who who you can sympathize with a lot, but you can also feel pity for. Like, like you can see his character flaws and how he lives lives in this world where everything is connected and everything is immediately available. And, and what blew my mind about this movie is that I could actually feel emotions for the fact that he was falling in love with this computer. <laughs> like, like it, it would start out where you would watch him frolicking alone or playing or, or, or things that look like what a crazy person would do. <laughs> uh, you, you know, with his phone in his pocket and just running and dancing and smiling. Yeah. And at first, I think it is played for a laugh at the beginning, but but by the end, you really, really feel that. Um, I also thought just the whole idea, and I, I won't ruin the ending, but there's a lot I could say about the, the idea of the singularity that we talk about uh, in computer science and what happens here. Uh, but I, I will just say that everything about this movie was lovely, like totally Spike Jonesy. There was warm colors a really sketched out world the the long monologues of scarlett johansson were great uh, soundtrack by owen pallet of final fantasy uh, 
everything was really good. Like I I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that movie. It was really really good. I mean, I think from the opening uh title card where it just said her, like I don't know something about that. I was just already like I was already like tearing up. I was like this movie it's all right, it's already got me. Like I don't know, like this something about uh the movie from like the moment it started was just like it was it was really special. Like I think that the you know we talk about world building a lot and this movie has it in spades like i think that uh it's definitely the best looking la movie uh in a while or ever because like usually when la is on screen it looks like crap it's and just it's being usually, attacked by monsters <laughs> something <laughs> like yeah it just looks like digital you know crappery but uh yeah like i think that and I and I noticed at the end of the movie that they also shot in Hong Kong too. So I, I was like, gonna ask if they shot in Asia because it felt yeah, very like Hong Kong or Tokyo. Like the the blend of the two was really really cool, and it was very seamless too. Because there were moments where I was like, uh, "Where did they shoot this in L.A.?" Because like I don't think that that exists. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when it said you know Hong Kong at the end, I was like, "Okay, that makes sense." But for but for the fact that like. I thought they were still in LA the whole time was really, really cool. And, um, it's very detailed. I mean, like the stuff, like down to the stuff where like, you know, Joaquin's walking around with, uh, his phone in his uh, shirt pocket. And Joaquin he's got like, walking, walking, obviously. <laughs> uh, and he's got, uh, you know, he's got his phone in his shirt pocket and he's got like the, uh, the pin, uh to to hold it up so she can see out uh i mean stuff like that was just like really cool it, it and, yeah, yeah that that it's funny that you bring that up like that that sort of attention to detail for me was one of the things that like, i really liked about the film because there, like there's no reason why they couldn't have just de- designed samantha's device to be tall enough to fit in a pocket there's also no reason why she couldn't be looking out of, of the bridge of his glasses um, but instead, they had one device that everyone in this world can use, and because it's too short to to fit out of a pocket, he always has the pins. They never say like, "Oh, I'm going to pin this so that it sticks out." It's just like a a little touch of the world of like it was. It's definitely a conscious decision to make it that way, and like little touches like that in the film are pretty awesome. To just to see them do things like that, it makes it feel real as opposed to feel like a like stylized vision of the future it feels like the real version of this future right it's like he actually fleshed out what this future would look like yeah Uh, the the same with the way people have this computer in their pocket and they connect it to their monitors when they're working and uh, they play games on it and so when they play the game the audio can hear the other audio going in i I don't know just every detail the way they played games together the way the um the way the desktop environments were in 3D and they controlled that with this like touchpad and I I, I don't know it, it was just very well crafted I think I, I couldn't find too many holes in the vision of the future that he made yeah it wasn't it wasn't like an overpowering where technology was everything like there right. was still like some shred of like the present in there like I I felt like that all the tech stuff to me felt completely plausible in terms of like yeah i could see that you know being how it is you know a couple years down the line or whatever yeah and from an emotional standpoint like this this trailer was like a walter Mitty trailer like for me like i've been waiting for most of this year to see this damn movie 
um, and was kind of annoyed that it didn't come out earlier and that I had to like rush to see it before so it could be in consideration for talking. Um, but uh, one thing that's been annoying me really bad is in the theater, the reception of this trailer is like groaning to some people. Like a lot of times, like people are like, oh, what's this movie? And then as soon as like the, you know, everybody refers to this as the movie about Joaquin Phoenix falling in love with Siri. Yeah. And um, every time I like am sitting in the theater and the trailer plays, um, without even having seen the movie, anytime somebody would be like, oh, or groan, or I could hear their eyes rolling back in their head, I, it made me angry because, like, I don't get what... I mean, if, if you see the movie and you don't like it, like, that's cool. Like, you are allowed to not like it. But why is the concept so, like, groan-worthy to people? Like, I don't get it. Like, it seems very authentic and... um, Yeah, I don't know. That's just been... I just wanted to voice that something's been annoying me sitting in theaters seeing this trailer um yeah. for since it came out and, and I, think, I think what what kept it from being that really was scarlett johansson uh i i mean the the voice performance that she gave here to give samantha a real character and show you from the outset that you know in in nerdy terms this passed the turing test like this is a this is a machine that is indistinguishable from a person and has an actual consciousness and set of feelings. Uh, yeah. And and the way that she plays that and slowly learns throughout the film, I I just I I love that. I I think it's what really kept this from being the pathetic story of a man who fell in love with Siri. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, I think it's a concept that could have gone like horribly south, but in the hands of Spike Jones, uh, it doesn't. Like I I feel like. If people know, like, they should know better once they see from the director of being John Malkovich, uh, and, you know, flash up during the trailer. Because, like, I feel like that is a sign that's like, okay, this is a concept that's in good hands. It's not like, you know, from, you know, Brett Ratner or something. Like, it's it's definitely, you know, not being played for broad comedy or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in my mind where Robot and Frank fell flat, to me as a person who works in this field this movie succeeded in making me believe in the relationship that was taking place yeah yeah i like robot and frank but i mean it was kind of two different things like he didn't fall in love with frank (laughs) or the robot yeah i I thought that was the subtext okay (laughs) that would be a weird movie (laughs) he wanted to (laughs) he wasn't a sex robot or anything all right so uh should i go on to my number five Yes, go Let's for it. Let's hear it. All right. So starting with my first movie that just spoke to me that whatever it may feel cheap to put on the list, but it's just a film that I identified with way too much. Um, that is The Spectacular Now. Um, so it's basically the story of this high school kid who just like he's at the end of his high school career and he's just not growing up. And that's like one of the main themes of this film is like he's not ready to be an adult yet and his relationships with his girlfriend and new love interests um, all kind of play into that uh, the way his family dynamic is the fact that his father left when he was younger Um, there's a bunch of things that all play into this character and it's it's a thing that just where the story's going and the progression of his character and like he's sort of just the party animal the crazy dude who just wants to have fun and he meets like a very innocent young girl who like 
in a way he's good for her because he's helping her branch out but he's also this bad guy who is probably going to be a bad influence on her and just watching the progression of their relationship and how he is learning or not learning over the course of the film it just really identified with with me and like i i remember in high school where like i was not ready for high school to end like not that i was a super cool party guy in high school but it was just like i wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life and wasn't necessarily on a, a trajectory that um, was even a trajectory at all. I was kind of just like, okay, whatever, I'm going to graduate high school, I'll go to community college, then I'll transfer to some place, I don't really care. And um, I don't know, there's something about Sutter's character really uh, hit me. And even like my high school relationships that I had, um, I felt an aspect of those in um, him and like how how he acted. So I, this is just a film that I've, I've rewatched. I've seen it twice, and uh, both times I'm really just it. It just it didn't feel like it could be my life, but there was aspects of my life that were parallel with with him, and because of that, it was just a film that I walked away being very enamored with. So there you go. Yeah, I definitely one of the best movies of the year. Like I. I think that uh, the the guys who wrote this, who also wrote 500 Days of Summer, uh, it's a, a testament to their writing skills because uh, I, if you had to tell me which movie was better, I don't know, I don't know what I would choose because I think they're two very different movies, but they kind of tackle the same themes and stuff. And uh, this one's obviously a lot darker, uh, but yeah, very authentic. And uh, Miles Teller, man, I will watch that guy till the end of time. He is—he's uh, definitely like the best new young actor out there. Uh, same with Shalane Woodley; like she's really good too. And, and this is the movie that made me come around on Miles Teller because I wasn't—it's not that I wasn't a huge fan of him. It's just the, the characters he was playing, I didn't like. <laughs> oh, you mean yeah. 21, 21 and up didn't do it? <laughs> twenty one and over was pretty funny. Though. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> Basically, whenever he's like, uh, he was playing a lot of the same type of characters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and even even the character Sutter is not necessarily that far off from those characters, but he's more human. To, like he's he's he acts out, but I don't think he's really a bad guy. Like he cares, no. but he he he's putting up this front and he acts a certain way that is maybe counter to how he would like to be. But it's sort of just the persona he's created. So. Um, I, I don't know. Just the movie worked for me on a million different levels, and uh, I sort of just loved it. So did you? Yeah. Did you see the movie Rabbit Hole? I did not. Okay, because he's in that. That was like one of his first big roles, and it's a very. Uh, that was like the first thing I ever saw him in. So it was weird because then, then after that, he did like Footloose and the Twenty One Over, like those kind of roles. Yeah. So that was. I was. That's where it tipped me off. I was like, this guy is good because like he went from like hardcore drama to like wacky comedy. And he played them both really well. Gotcha. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I totally agree with Chris on this movie. Um, it, it it didn't make my cut only because there were so many good indie flicks about this exact thing, actually, about that feeling of discontent of, like, growing up, growing up and not quite knowing where you are in the world, uh, yeah. what your place is. And I thought more than any of them, this film nailed the way that high schoolers actually communicate with each other and the way that their relationships would take form. Um, this was definitely made by people who have been there. <laughs> I, granted, everyone has been there, but yeah, yeah. Who, who have a very keen 
understanding of how we interact with each other. Uh, and, and definitely the, the romance. I, I don't know the name of the, uh, the female lead in this movie who played opposite him. Shalane Woodley, yeah, from but, The Descendants. Yeah, uh, but I mean, as if I could transport myself into being 17 again, I would have fallen for the same girl for the same reasons, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I thought everything about this was just played really true to life. Uh, very well done. Yeah. I, I think in most years, this would have made my top five. It's actually a testament to how many movies I loved this year that that it didn't make it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Carson, you want to go on to your number four? Okay. Uh, number four is uh, definitely the best theatrical uh, experience I had this year. Uh, like purely just personal, uh, personal wise. Uh, definitely the best IMAX 3D experience I've had by far. The desolation of Smaug. <laughs> uh, yes. How did you guess? Smaug is just so good looking. Uh, yeah, Francis Ha. <laughs> you just need to see her in 3D. Francis Ha looked great on IMAX 3D. I mean, it, <laughs> he just dances did, right out of the screen. I don't think it needed to be that way, but I mean, why not? Um, no, and I think that I know what you're thinking. Gravity. No, I love the crap out of Metallica through the Never, and I'm sure it will be. <laughs> Not on anyone else's list, but I want to champion no. this movie because it, I had I had to bump it for spectacular. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they're really the same kind of movie if you think about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I am a huge fan of Metallica, but I feel like this movie can play to people who have uh, no inkling of uh, knowledge of Metallica. Like, I think that. Uh, not only does it work as like a really badass concert movie, but it's like a badass movie in general because there's like this really awesome narrative uh, weaved through it, starring uh, Dane DeHaan, aka Cricket, our favorite cripple on this podcast, <laughs> uh, and uh, he plays he plays a roadie for Metallica in this movie, and he has to go out for whatever reason, some MacGuffin, and. Uh, he, you know the apocalypse basically happens while he's out on the streets and all the songs are ref- all the events reflect like the songs that they're playing in the concert and like this is better than like the front row seat good like i've never been to a metallica concert but like this felt like i was right there next to them all and like seriously the loudest movie i've ever watched ever like this movie I- my ears were ringing like it was hard to hear after it was amazing like the the imax the irvine spectrum imax theater was like literally getting a workout from the the sound design in this movie um and it's like very very striking like the the movie is uh really well directed like this was not like some justin bieber one direction like concert movie that they crapped out in like a month like this was like a very well thought out and crafted uh movie like it it's really really spectacular and like there's a lot of really striking memorable visuals uh near the end there's uh, a sequence in particular that's like still like that will stay with me like it's one of the coolest things i've seen so i will i (laughs) heartily recommend this movie the the only steve and i are still waiting for the just kidding (laughs) so the the only thing i know about this movie is the trailer that never ended before elysium uh i 
I, I it must have gone on for at least like seven minutes. It, it wasn't even a trailer. I don't know what it was. Um, huh? Yeah. When I was sitting, I think you talked Elysium, about that. It, it was starting with that backstory that you're talking about of the, you know, post-apocalyptic, or I guess during apocalyptic, uh, yeah, biker battle type thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I did not get it. And and I have a feeling I would not have the same reaction to it that you did, but <laughs> good on you. <laughs> yeah, for for me, like I mean, Metallica is Metallica. Uh, obviously, they um, like I was never a huge fan of theirs. Uh, I was sort of annoyed with their whole like Napster, I hate the world, we're gonna like sue everybody out of existence type thing yeah. or like mm-hmm. all these stories you hear every once in a while of like we're gonna sue this band for using like the e and the f chord because we invented those um all those like weird stories about metallica just have left a sour metallic taste in my mouth um so like just you describing Sing. the you describing the, the the plot of this film being that like not only is there roadie like experiencing the apocalypse but like metaphorically their music is what the apocalypse will be like just the the audacity of like portraying their music as being like so like i don't know there's something about like the metaphor for me is just sort of annoying and i don't know I, why I, mean, I think for me i'm just not i i'm not a metalhead and i don't resonate with that aesthetic but i can i know plenty of people who do and i i can think of a few people in particular who would probably love this film <laughs> but I would not be one of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that I, I didn't, I don't know, like what I said, like th- their songs kind of like go with, not, it doesn't like completely go with, but they're like, there's like little things that like sync everything up. And I don't think it's like a metaphor for like, oh, we're like the, you know, bringers of doom or whatever. But uh, I just think that like it reflects like what's happening in the narrative and like on stage too because there's like obviously like pyrotechnics and stuff going on on stage like it it really is like i know you guys think i'm just like joking or whatever but uh it really is like a very unique take on like this kind of genre definitely like the most entertaining one i've seen yeah and i i don't i don't doubt it. it's just like in my head i just went to a negative place immediately um well no i mean i I feel like most people would, but I mean, it got like a lot of, I mean, it's got like a really high like rating and it's got a lot of praise for it. I just feel like it is a movie, like when it came out and when I knew it was coming out, I was like, well, I'm definitely going to watch it. But like, I feel like no one else will because it just seems like so like bizarre and obscure that like, who's going to go see it? Like, it's not, it doesn't have like that appeal of, well like a like a one direction or whatever like they have like <laughs> Wait, they like have an a, appeal well you know what i mean like they have yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. they have like a ton of fans and like they'll show up regardless you know and be like oh my god it's my husband or whatever uh <laughs> you know even like even like justin bieber who like will go to like a brothel and spit on his fans and stuff and yet he'll still have girls showing up to the theater he has fans you know, in a brothel screaming uh <laughs> his name what, what are you saying about bieber fans I'm saying that they'll they'll stick with him even after like he becomes like the biggest tool. So mm-hmm. after after he has sex with a lot of Brazilian hookers, <laughs> All right. tool fans. Well, <laughs> well, on that note, Stephen, do you want to take us into your uh, number four? 
Yeah, I mean, my number four is very similar, actually. Um, Good. In feeling the reaction <laughs> it gave me. Uh, and that is Before Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally in the same uh, genre. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, and, and this is a film right before the apocalypse, which will take place at, yes. uh, at midnight. At midnight. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> so, so for those who are unaware, um, Before Midnight is the third in a series of before movies, before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight. Uh, and I had actually not seen any of them uh, when I first watched Before Midnight. So I, I went in knowing nothing except for that Linkletter is kind of like a pretentious dude who likes to, you know, <laughs> ha have movies where people have philosophic conversations that couldn't ever happen in reality. Um, yeah, like in, like in the Bad News Bears remake. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, or, so this, you know, this, in, in like a Scanner Darkly or Waking Life. So th this was yeah, the no, first no, of the yeah, three that you, you watched? Sorry, what was that? Th this was the first of the three that you watched? Yes, this was the first huh. that I watched. Interesting. Uh, and and so after watching it, I immediately had to go back and check out the others because I can't I can't review this in isolation. Uh, I mean, they're really a the the film has to be taken with the other two movies to capture uh, the feeling behind it. Uh, uh, so the basic premise of these movies is that uh, these two people, Jesse and Celine, uh, met in Europe. 18 years ago, kind of like the European version of Lost in Translation. Uh, at the time, like two people running into each other in a foreign country, walking around, having a conversation. And, and there's something about all of them that really spoke to me. Like they perfectly captured that feeling of uh, finding love in an isolated place uh, and, and going through the ups and downs of love. Uh, and this one went a step further than like the Lost in Translation vibe, uh, because in this it looks at what would have happened if Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson had stayed together, started a life together, and then started to drift apart and contemplate divorce. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there's like a, there's a depth to that that could be unbelievably frustrating to watch. Cause in a sense, you're just watching people have an argument uh, for two hours in what couldn't have been more than like, 30 takes total i i don't know they're like they were very long cuts of an argument uh, the yeah and, i was just gonna and, say that, like that scene where they're in the car it probably goes on for like a good 20 minutes and it's yeah, like I think one so. unbroken take yeah yeah or or the scene and maybe through the magic of cinema they did hide little cuts in there that i didn't notice but the the argument scene in the hotel that has to be at least like 40 minutes long right and, and i'm sure there are cuts in between yeah there are definitely cuts yeah in yeah there. It just feels but, very, you know, continuous. Yeah, so in one way, I think the criticism I was going in with was correct. The conversations are a little unbelievable in the sense that there's no way real people are this clever or good at vocalizing their feelings. But at the same time, it was also unbelievable in how engrossing and how much the, uh, the acting resonated with me. Uh, I mean, you can really tell that uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy had a part in making this film and writing the script, uh, because there's something about it that just flows so naturally as these two characters communicating with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like. I don't know what was like. I don't know how much was scripted because it all feels very natural. Yeah. Well, so I know that they are co-screenwriters in this movie. Yeah. 
and they so, were on the second one too yes so they definitely went back and forth um, they definitely had like a hand in creating it and shaping it but like i i just would it'd be interesting to know like how much was actually written down and how much was either improvised or you know just made up on the spot because it, it just all feels very natural and that's a testament to those two like they're very good actors and they're very good in those parts they make i think it they make it very believable they make the unbelievable believable because yes, i feel exactly. like in a lesser like in a in lesser hands those two roles would come off as annoying and pretentious but like they make it very you know like you said engrossing well i, I think uh, what it comes down to is that like I get what you were saying, Stephen, about how like m- like you almost want to question like how articulate they are and how good they are at forming um, their things. But I think like the way I totally forgive that is that he is a writer, so yeah. like it, it makes sense yes. that he's going to be as well spoken as he is. And she is this very much like empowered woman who who has like strived to be that way. Like so, it's like. It seems like on on the one hand they might be sort of a heightened version of a character, but it feels completely authentic to me because of what those the roles of those people are to be the like the characters are made in the way that they would it, like it doesn't feel yeah. like a Gil, Gilmore Girls episode or something where it's like nobody talks like that what the hell is going on um, it definitely like, fits their characters yeah it feels yeah. like like maybe I don't talk that way but they. A hundred percent do. Yeah. And yeah. If, if anyone could make that dialogue believable, I think it is these two characters and these yeah. two actors. Yeah. Uh, For sure. Wait, so uh, Steven... Like I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I what I thought this really nailed and what has kind of been a theme this year is that vague feeling of discontent where things aren't... Nothing is going wrong, but things aren't quite going right either. I mean, m- most of these were in coming-of-age movies this year, like francis hyde post-college or you know the way way back for this kid or spectacular now uh, but this this had that same feeling of what do we do now but with wiser characters that actually had something i felt very meaningful to say i mean e- even the first time i watched this prior to seeing the other two knowing nothing about who jesse and celine were i, I was completely engrossed in it and, and after going back and watching the history and rewatching it you know it was a 10x effect Hmm. No, that's what I was going to ask you is that you obviously enjoyed it having not seen the first two. But then that, yeah, that was my question is like, did you enjoy it more after having seen the others? Oh, much more. (laughs) Definitely. But it it was kind of interesting to watch to watch before sunrise, knowing how before midnight would end, Uh, like like knowing where these characters were going. Well, yeah, it definitely flavors all the experiences that um did did you <laughs> did you watch them completely in reverse chronological order like did you start <laughs> no. with the second one okay no af- after watching before midnight i immediately wrote down like you need to watch before sunrise i uh, I, I kind of i kind of wish that you would have watched the second one second and then the first one last style um, <laughs> well no just because it would be really interesting to have like a off the air completely spoiler conversation with you about uh certain beats in all of them yeah. and where like because part part of the uh, genius of the film is, or the films in general, is that there's stuff that you aren't told has happened that through the course of conversation is slowly revealed to you. And if you are viewing one and two from like, so basically two, 
like there's a there's a huge gap of time that takes place between one and two and then two and three so in two you find out about stuff like when you start the movie there's a lot of information you simply do not have and as two progresses you are picking up on little bits of stuff that explain where the characters have gone between that first film and now and then in the third obviously there's many times where the same thing happens but having already had all the knowledge of the third uh i wonder how those reveals work for you since they're not a reveal because you already have the full knowledge of those bits of information right and because i had the full knowledge there was really no reveal in any yeah, of yeah. these films um and to me that was perfectly fine it, it was all about the the dialogue and the journey getting there and i i'll wear my heart on my sleeve like i was a complete sap i watched before sunrise on a plane ride about to land in Germany and getting on the train, <laughs> which is the setting of Before Sunrise. Uh, Before Sunset was also on a plane. The second time I watched Before Midnight was on a train in Japan. Like, this is very... It's a really good movie to watch when you are alone. Traveling. You know, traveling far away, not knowing what's going to happen, and thinking blindly, like, hey, maybe, maybe this will happen to me. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it didn't. But I, I, I just love, I just love that these movies exist. Uh, I think Before Sunrise yeah. is easily like my top five romantic films of all time. Yeah. And while this doesn't strike the chord that that does, because this is not a love story so much as a trying to stay in love story, I think this is, even if not as. Uh, heart-wrenching i think it's probably wiser and deeper than the other movies were well to take a line from the narrator of 500 days of summer this is not a love story it's a story about love mm. yes so there you i go. just want to i i would say that uh i would make the statement that that these three movies are a perfect trilogy like i just have no problems with them yeah yes. take the, take I, that I lucas that. yeah take yeah, yeah shove it <laughs> take your Ewoks and shove it um no yeah like I like when I saw Before Midnight obviously being a fan of the other two like that was just like a culmination like I was just like they completely did it like they that was everything that I like was hoping it would be and uh it was like a perfect way to cap that off yeah I, I read a great conversation on a message board about if they make a fourth movie what will they call it and someone said to just do B4, the number four. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I approve. <laughs> and he falls, in, Ethan Hawke falls in love with his iPhone, obviously. Uh, so, okay. they, they do have iPhones in the third movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I do also want to say that I love, I love the idea of these movies aging, kind of in the way that the like 7-Up series of films checks in on people every seven years uh yeah I, I just love the idea of a continuing story and i would i would love it if nine years from now we get another before movie maybe maybe they're still together maybe they've been divorced i don't know but i would love to keep watching them yeah i would keep watching them i hope i don't know if they will continue them mm -hmm. but yeah i mean it's definitely the characters are so good that you you want to keep watching them yeah, no, sure. I I believe so. Also, um, I I would I I don't know if they could pull off another one, but I would definitely watch it. Um, I envision sort of a fourth one, possibly being one of them has passed away and mm -hmm. the other one is still like talking to them. Um, I 
not like in a weird paranormal way, but I mean like remembering them and or like talking to the to the grave. <laughs> not, not, not like safe haven. Yes. Um, the like, twist is he's like, oh my gosh, she's dead. Like start with a funeral and everybody remembering them. And then the, the remaining person is like talking to the grave the way that people tend to do. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, I'm not saying they should do that. I'm just saying like that's sort of there would be like a finality to the series if they did something like that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a finality to the third one, I feel like. Um, but, and also it leaves it open-ended, but I think that, <laughs> no, but I, yeah, I think that the like, that's kind of finality. I, I think that it's, a, it's ambiguous, but like at the same time, if they, if this is their last one, if they decide not to make any more, like it definitely, there's definitely a finality to it. Like you yeah, can say, like, okay, well, that's it. I could have said that about before sunset too. I mean that yeah, there would have ended as a love story where you know, yeah, like you can you can see where the lines are going to intersect. Like you know what's going to happen after the credits roll. Yeah. Uh, but I love that they took it a step further and didn't didn't let it just be like a a romance. They actually let it grow into more than that. Yeah. Cool. All right. So my number four, uh, this is this is number two of my sad sap uh, speaks to me and probably the one I'll have the least to say about. Um, but uh, it is short term 12 um, in in my chronology of the life of a human being. This is sort of like the this is the people who are a little bit older than maybe Sutter was in the spectacular now. Um, who are so busy trying to fix other people's lives that they can't fix their own life. Um, and it's really, it's one of those films where like, I can't really explain why I liked it so much. And in fact, when I first, I saw Spectacular Now and Short Term 12 the same weekend, and I left then um, liking the Spectacular Now over the Short Term 12. And the Short Term 12 was the one that I haven't watched again. Um, so I don't know how it would change going back and revisiting it, but... I feel maybe because I'm older and like the main characters are a little bit older than that. And uh, it's a little more, it's it's a lot of people dealing with different emotions as opposed to just like one uh, couple dealing with it. Uh, it, it feels like a little bit stronger and I don't have the best uh, backup for that. It's just a film that I walked out being very satisfied having seen and feeling overwhelmingly that uh, it was a fantastic film and that, people should be seeing it so absolutely and i'm i'm actually going to cut carson and break the rules because this is my number three also so we oh, might as well we spend a little bit <laughs> spend a little bit longer <laughs> talking about it uh, Very nice. rather than having carson throw wolf of wall street in between <laughs> there we go. Um, i hope so bad that wolf of wall street is his number three or is, yeah, yeah that would be hilarious uh, uh, but yeah i mean so i felt the same way that you did actually short term 12 so to me when I watched it, it it really blew me away. And on the outset, I don't know how to defend that, be because the themes of this movie. When I tell people, like it's about a a girl who works in a home for troubled children, that sounds like such an easy heartstring pulling type of film to make. Yeah, it and does. It, and I feel when I when I tell people that that I'm betraying like look, I'm a sap, I fell for it, I felt like the movie was deep just because of the deep themes that it had going for it, and, you you know, it's always easier to look like a good movie when you're dealing with things like that. 
Yeah. But but there was more to it. I mean, there were for one thing, Brie Larson's character, I a like I loved her. I mean, I, I now have a official celebrity crush on Brie Larson, I think. <laughs> I thought she was, like, a, a wonderfully flawed protagonist and a believable one. I mean, I know I've I've definitely had many friends who've struggled with, you know, depression and suicide and things like this. And I I felt like she was a 100% believable character. Like, yeah. a, a mishmash of actual people that I know if they also looked like Brie Larson. Um, <laughs> and, Which would be awesome. Yeah, and the the relationship with the boyfriend I thought was so it was nice and subtle. Like it, it wasn't overbearing. It was just very, very true to life about how two people at this age would interact with each other. Yeah. Uh, and I loved like, like the scene of the dude. Uh, I forget his name now. Uh, he does this rap uh, while the boyfriend does a beatboxing. Yeah. yeah. And this kid raps out his feelings. And to me, that could be a contender for one of the most moving scenes that I've watched this year. I mean, I, I was just completely, like, silent and stunned when I watched that. So, yeah, l- like you, I haven't watched it again. I have no idea how it holds up. All I know is that when I first watched it, it really struck a chord with me. And and given that it's had very little publicity, I mean, part of it is the name. Nobody knows what short-term 12 means. <laughs> um, yeah. But I really think it's a movie that people should seek out and watch because it it has a lot going for it. It has a. It got a lot of praise uh, from like the festival. It played at South by Southwest, so like it and a couple other places, and it got like huge response from there. I, I've seen it pop up on a lot of uh, best of lists online, like Slash Film and places like that. Uh, I think it's. I definitely think it's a good movie. I, I don't. I wasn't as blown away by like some of the like the praise that it was getting but i think that brie larson is a wonderful actor and she's definitely she is like uh miles teller in in the sense that she's you know one of a very exciting up-and-coming actress and uh also in the spectacular now yep um and i think uh for me personally the spectacular now resonated more uh than short term 12 but uh i think that Brie Larson holds that movie together. Yeah, I think that, like, like I said before, when I that weekend I had the Spectacular Now above Short Term Twelve simply because that film did resonate with me so much more. But the more I reflect on the film, like I think there is so much to offer in Short Term Twelve, and so many different um, way, like so many different characters to tackle similar themes in their own way, um, and so many like like little like heart crushing moments that each of these characters have um, and also joyous moments that they all have that it, it's sort of just overall I think it's either a better film or a more pandering film that I fell for and yeah uh, right e- either way I, I'm happy with that I agree with Steven though the rap scene is uh, a really good scene yeah so uh, I guess I'll I'll come I'll go back to my number three um, <laughs> Which also ties into, it's not The Wolf of Wall Street, but it also does tie into all the, like, indie, uh, you know, romance type of movies that came out this year. Uh, and I, I felt like this, out of all the ones, was my favorite. Uh, and that was the movie In a World uh, that was starring, written, directed, produced by Lake Bell. 
And uh, it's a really, really strong debut, uh, directorial debut, writing, it's just everything. Like, she's a triple threat in this movie. Uh, and, like, I had obviously seen, like, Belle on, like, Children's Hospital and shows like that and other other movies where she's playing, like, you know, the, like, minor side character. Um, but here she is the, you know, full-on lead, and she is really, really spectacular. Um, she just proves that uh she's a force to be reckoned with like i wish that or i hope that she gets like more lead roles uh off of this movie because she is really really charming and entertaining and she's made like a very charming movie like i this is like one of the most like just endlessly entertaining movies and there's uh there's obviously the romance part thrown in too which can obviously detract from a movie that isn't necessarily about you know the romance like there's you know sometimes it feels like you know you see like an action movie and they always have to throw in like the romantic subplot just because uh i feel like it really works here though and uh again it's another movie like with a behind the scenes look at like uh sort of like the movie industry because it's all about uh lake bell is the daughter of a a famous uh, voiceover artist who uh, was like, uh, he was like one of the top guys in his time. And, uh, oh God, I can't remember. But the guy who did all the in the world uh, trailers and voiceover uh, Don stuff. Don LaFontaine, probably. Don LaFontaine, thank yeah, you. My friend's dad was the successor to Don LaFontaine. So I heard okay. about him a lot. Okay, yeah. So like, that's interesting. Yeah, like, so like, in the movie they they totally you know don lafontaine is like the you know uh jumping off point and lake bell's father in the movie who is a fictional character he was supposed to be like don lafontaine's like rival uh in their heyday and uh lake bell is an aspiring voiceover artist and you know everyone tells her that like you know women can't be uh voiceover artists and all this and uh, it's basically her trying to make it uh, in that world. And uh, yeah, it's really, really good. It's very, very funny and it's very smart. And uh, it doesn't end the way you would think it would. Uh, and the cast is, everyone's really great. Like Ken Marino's in it, Rob Corddry, uh, Dimitri Martin plays uh, the love interest in the film. Uh, like Nick Offerman shows up and uh, there's a couple really good cameos. And uh it's a really like sly look on like that industry and uh, very interesting too because you learn a lot about uh, all the the different intricacies of voiceover work, which I think is really cool. It, it's a it's a very very fun movie. Um, yeah, and I I should chime in that I I didn't get to see this, but it was on my very very short list of things I wanted to see. Uh, yeah, I couldn't find a place online to watch it in the last few days, but. I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's out yet. I mean, I thought on, I thought it got a VOD release on iTunes because I remember seeing the maybe. trailer for no, it. No, it's pre-order on iTunes right oh, now. Oh, is it? Uh, maybe it yeah. had a limited window because I, I could have sworn at one point I was looking at this on iTunes and was possibly going to watch it, but I couldn't tell from the trailer if it was going to be really good or sort of a like, uh, not substandard, but it felt kind of like a straight to DVD. Like the trailer, I couldn't tell if it was like fully legit or if it was like a a sort of offshoot movie um so i ended up not seeing it but i could have sworn there was like a limited window of time where it, it was available it yeah, might have been 
based on word of mouth i i think i heard like nick offerman on doug love doug loves movies or something uh but i heard some conversation about it that made me very much want to take a look yeah it's really good i i was very i was pleasantly surprised by it i i think that uh it deserves uh, a watch i don't think it's out like i said i don't think it's out yet on video and stuff maybe on uh yuri's movie bay or something but uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it's officially out yet to to watch but when it does come out uh i would say definitely check it out cool I'll, i might have to revisit that then or i i should say actually visit it <laughs> i mean it, like because we're we've been talking all about you know spectacular now uh you mentioned way way back like i feel like it fits totally fits with like all the all those movies we've been mentioning cool in terms okay, of quality so so we should skip me and go to chris i think this is your undeniable blockbuster one right uh, you said uh, it was number three well, I had actually scribbled it out earlier, and I moved my <laughs> I undeniable blockbuster to number two. Um, and my number three, oddly slash conveniently enough, is Before Midnight. <laughs> um, so obviously, uh, so I, I had not seen all of these until recently. Early the, earlier this year, I watched uh, the first one for the first time. Um, and then a week ago, I, or maybe it was a little, little earlier ago i saw the second one and new year's eve i watched before midnight starting around 10 10 and finished it literally like the last part of the credits rolled i picked up my phone to see what time it was and it clicked 12 and then i heard a bunch of people yelling outside so i watched this right leading up to midnight um on new year's eve and freaking love this movie um uh, like like I, like I said to you steven there, there's like things that you like because you knew a bunch of information like leaving the second film coming into this uh uh third film i had no idea where they were and how it was going to start and um kind of what had happened between the second and third one so like all of that was completely new and interesting and just as they reveal those things over the course of the episode um I just loved getting those little bits and catching up with where they've been this whole time. Um, but also, like, this one is a little bit more expansive in a way because you have, you know, the other two films are pretty much just the two of them walking and talking. And you get to experience their relationship through each other and, and how uh, how they've experienced their own lives and how they communicate that to each other. But in this one, like, there's something about that scene in the middle where they're all sitting down and having dinner where you have, like, you have two older couples who have both like lost the other person in that couple. You have the around their age couple who have lived their life together. You have the main couple of this film sitting on the other side of the table. And you have a young couple who have just met, all of which seem to have met in a kind of similar way, like a very like chance meeting with each other and then sort of getting together later on in life. And, um, you know, just the the older guy is also a writer, so he's very eloquent in the way he speaks, and he has these very, like, grand ideas of relationships and stuff. And even before you really get into the meat of um, the toll that this relationship has taken on the main characters, you just seeing the way people interpret their relationships and look at relationships and them talking about uh, their versions of love and how they see the perfect relationship going and um, how they've experienced... I don't know, just... This film is one of those films that I think gets and understands love and relationships and um, 
kind of where it goes and the fight that they do have and the things that people say to each other when they're in love yet defensive and angry and the ideas of resentment and um th this film i think says all that you can say about relationships in a way that is just amazing and the fact that it pay like it has a little bit of the Toy Story three syndrome to where it's like I don't know if it would work having not seen the first two films, um, but I don't care like lump them all three together as one long ass movie because it's brilliant and I don't know I just love everything that it has to offer and obviously you've talked a lot about it Stephen and Carson has chimed in on this stuff but yeah that's that's yeah, I, I, I love it I mean totally agreed the the, the one thing I'm curious about. So we've had me who saw this before the other two movies, and and then you, I believe, watched them all in a short time frame. <laughs> you well, said like it, you... I I saw them all this year, but it was a long time between the first and the second, and it was at least like two weeks, I think, um, mm -hmm. between the second and third. Because I have to wonder what people who actually watched them when they came out, what what that effect has been like, where they're aging in real time, <laughs> kind of with the characters. <laughs> Yeah, that, that'd be a very interesting perspective to hear, which unless your parents were extremely artistic and cool, none of us had that opportunity. Yeah, no, it would. It, I would love to have experienced it in a way that like I saw them all in theaters. It was talked about amongst people and I could have had conversations like if, if we had been doing this podcast that long and after each episode, we can have a long ass discussion about like the merits of the film and the points that were brought up and like spoiler discussions about where we think they're going and then to get reintroduced to them at each step along the way um i that it would have been awesome and i'm kind of sad that haven't been able to experience it that way but i'm happy that i have experienced it in the way that i have yeah and, and i've got to point out for that that dinner scene that you mentioned with all the couples talking and uh, sharing their experiences that was one of those moments where i could feel I could feel the cynical part of me, like this imaginary other person watching it, mocking it. Like, uh, you know, they're just trying to be all deep and philosophic. Nobody would ever talk like that. But the sentimental part kind of just shut that up completely. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there's something about it that I don't think... I think if I brought a friend to this movie, I would have a worse time because I would have watched it through their eyes and seen every criticism I could have tried to throw at it. Yeah, but but for me, it was immune to that. Like it just one hundred percent worked. Yeah, no, I I feel the same way. Like I mean, I think sitting alone in my room on New Year's Eve watching it like was the perfect way to watch it. Um, and even that scene too. Like I I agree. That part of me was also kind of like seeing the strings, and it kind of bothered me that like the young couple had met exactly the same way that they had. Um, but the perspective that they each brought to the situation and the way those characters were viewing our main couple and how our main couple were kind of trying to like hold together, hold together their conversation at a group of people, like in a mixed crowd, like there's something, it, it just, it ended up working for me in a way that like I sort of, it teetered on the edge of not working, but then it just stayed strong. And just that old dude, I love that old dude. Like just, I wish I had an old man like him to just <laughs> like nostalgically talk about love um, with because uh, just something about it's like the accent. It's like almost Michael Caney. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was awesome.
definitely. I, I actually think watching it on New Year's Eve beats watching it on a train as the sun is going down in Japan. But but both are still the right. Yeah. Like you you want to be in the kind of place where you can be sentimental and reflective and not give a crap what other people think. Yeah. And I will throw out the the final word and say that before midnight. I mean, they all are very well. Uh, paced, but uh, when I sat in the theater and watched Before Midnight, I seriously thought the movie was only like twenty minutes long. <laughs> like when it ended, I was like, "Oh, it's over!" Like I, I, like the fastest hour and forty five minutes I think I've ever watched. Yeah, it's very, very. Uh, it goes by very, very quickly, which is unfortunate because you want more. Yeah, but yeah. So I guess it's back to me, right? Number two? Yeah, for year number two. Okay, so uh, number two, uh, I have placed uh, The Wolf of Wall Street at number two. Um, We've talked about it a lot last week. (laughs) You can see uh, us arguing till we're blue in the face, obviously. You (laughs) can't can't see it. You can't see it, yeah. You can't see it. You can probably hear it, though. Um, uh, You know, they do say that blue is the warmest color. Uh, But... (laughs) um, snap but i will say uh i mean we just gotta be like we gotta be like bieber and just be like hashtag believe and you know f all the the hatters so uh (laughs) you know uh yeah like so instead of talking about wolf wall street again i want to uh go through and highlight what uh i had kind of mentioned like last week too but highlight the the cokiest of the coke movies that came out this year and uh i loved all these movies well obviously spring breakers uh we'll gotta say james franco in the best performance of his career give that man a best supporting actor oscar uh i'm sorry jared leto but alien was a way better character creation um it's just a really amazing performance obviously uh trance danny boyle just kicking ass and being awesome going back to like shallow grave train spotting days just making crazy fast fun movies uh pain and gain obviously michael bay doing his thing um sightseers which i think i talked about in a what we've been watching way back in the day uh this is from ben wheatley who did kill list and uh probably like the most exciting director working right now english guy also did a movie called a field in england which is a completely trippy movie uh, that came out this year also well i guess it technically comes out next year but it came out this year in the uk uh and uh uh the bling ring sofia coppola getting her coke thing on obviously very similar to wolf of wall street because it's a lot of terrible people doing their thing uh only god forgives obviously chris loved it um that was a joke <laughs> oh, I, but, <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. I'm just curious why. Like, first of all, half these films have nothing to do with coke. Well, they they, <laughs> they have cocaine use in them, or they just have the feeling that they were made with. He means the like lot, frenetic energy. The frenetic yeah, energy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, also, the movie Passion, Brian De Palma's latest, which kind of got poo pooed, but was pretty hilarious and fun. Escape from Tomorrow, obviously, and The Counselor, which was. Uh, undervalued i think and american hustle was the other one obviously for reasons that we all know so there you go all right uh, carson never seems to like to uh, adhere to a format he always has to uh (laughs) coke it up in some way exactly but but, but i mean he he chose wolf of wall street i I think we just have 
such a recent argument between the three of us already <laughs> about it. I, I, uh, but I think I think Wolf of Wall Street is like the culmination of like that like type of movie. So I'm honestly yeah. surprised you have uh, Wolf of Wall Street over Only God Forgives. I thought for sure that you were gonna try to like forcefully give some love to Only God Forgives. I think I think they're all like in the same league. Like I yeah, I feel like that just Only God Forgives definitely was I think Nicholas Winding Refn, you know, just going back to his Valhalla Rising crazy craziness. So. I appreciated that. Cool. All, uh, all right. So if, if you guys want to hear us argue, hear Carson <laughs> say why he loves Chris, why he did not love me, why I was neutral, just check the feeds for like one episode prior to this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. Do you want to go on to your number two? Uh, or did, did, do you have any other comments about the Wolf of Wall Street? Or do you just want to go on to your number two, Stephen? Uh, I can go on if Carson's done. Oh, no, I'm done. Yeah, unless you have any, like, two cents on any of the other movies. I don't know. Uh, so I'm definitely a different... I, I definitely have different um, movies that I respond to. Uh, of those that you listed, I think Spring Breakers, to me... So American Hustle was by far my favorite of the ones you mentioned. Uh, I don't know if I would call it a coke movie i mean it is a coked out movie but it had more like it was like jazz like it, it had more of a yeah. rhythm to it than the others it was a little more um, subdued yeah and of the ultra high energy frenetic ones then spring breakers definitely i think yeah stuck. i think that one takes the cake yeah that definitely stuck with me the longest i i couldn't put it in a best of list for me but i definitely appreciate what harmony corn was going to going for and yeah. it, it definitely made me respect James Franco's acting abilities more than anything I've seen before has come close to doing. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely my favorite performance from this year, is Franco as, as Alien. I, I, I do agree he was amazing. I think by the end of that film, I was not on board with it at all. I don't think, personally, I, I didn't, Spring Breakers didn't really go anywhere for me, um, but I definitely did appreciate Franco in the film. Alrighty, I guess I'll go on to my number two. Uh, so around this point, I started having very big debates in my head of what to include and what not to include. Like, I, I could have fleshed out this whole list with indie flicks that made me feel feels and stuff like that. Um, but, but I decided I should take a shift to, like, complete big movies that really spoke to me uh, that have been praised by other people, but definitely deserve mine too uh, and so for this one i'm going with 12 years a slave it's been a good year for movies with 12 in the name um, <laughs> <laughs> um i mean this this movie kind of like like short term 12 given the subject matter it could have been just completely schmaltzy and moralizing and embarrassing to watch like it could be what i imagined the butler is though i didn't watch the butler <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, it's yeah it's definitely the opposite of the butler <laughs> lee yeah, daniels and, 12 years is later <laughs> <laughs> and, and instead what i got was an impeccably acted film uh i mean chiwetel edge of four is that how you say his name uh and michael fassbender uh they're, they're both just unbelievably good in this movie like one you relate to a human being who has had to be forced into slavery and is seeing this through his eyes for the first time and 
accepting his defeat while still maintaining hope. Uh, I will not mind at all if uh, the lead actor gets the Oscar this year for best performance. I I don't think that would be lip service or white guilt or anything. I, I think he really did just give an incredible lead performance. Um, yeah. And Fassbender does the impossible that only one other movie this year did for me, which I'll be talking about, uh, which is to make a completely evil person be empathetic to me. Somehow he pulled that off. I mean, he gave me a character who's cruel and wicked and completely, like, unredeemable and still made me understand how he could have gotten to that point. Uh, And I thought there was something really amazing about the way that he just commanded the movie every scene that he was in. Um, This movie, I felt it it was dark without being, like, Passion of the Christy, voyeuristic, preachy. Uh, It was soulful without, like, beating you over the head with it. And it was moral without moralizing. Uh, Like, I thought it really pulled off what is a very difficult feat, which is to make a movie about slavery, which doesn't, doesn't feel like it's sappy or overblown to me. Uh, so I thought this movie was important and very well done and very complete as a film. Yeah, I would agree. Steve McQueen, <laughs> amazing director. <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah, I, I feel I feel it's definitely a good film. I left it off my list because I still wrestle with some uh, like. I feel in a way it, like it, it's for some reason it bothers me that it's not just a story of this slave. It's a story of this guy who had a super awesome life and was actually like pretty wealthy and then got sold into slavery. Like I, it feels like a little bit cheap. Like, like I, and let me explain that better. I, I said this in our, in our review, but I feel a little bit like that is supposed to make it more, uh, it, it's supposed to make me care more about the character, but I, I feel like, well, no, I should care. Like, this is a terrible thing to happen to anybody, period. Um, I shouldn't feel worse because he was well off beforehand. So it, it feels like there's, it feels like it's trying to make it more tragic. Like, it's already tragic enough, let alone trying to add, yeah, but, like, pile this stuff on top of it. Um, so to me, he the reason that doesn't happen is he was not the key tragic figure. I mean, I thought the the girl, I forget her name, I think she's up for Best Supporting Actress in most uh, yeah, most award uh, seasons right now. Patsy. To, to me, yeah, Patsy was the tragic character. I, so to me, he was the lens that you empathize with and then you sympathize for everything that he's watching. Yeah, And I think that's why, to me, this was... It was okay. I did go in thinking it was contrived... At, the cynical part of me was all ready to dismiss it as being, oh, now I care because he plays violin and he's intelligent. <laughs> but, but, I, but I really... I he really was a think, free man before. Yeah, but I think the reason that it was done this way, aside from being based on source material, which is at least supposed to be true, um, yeah. people, people have disputed whether it was just propaganda. Uh, but re- regardless, I think it, it gives us an entry point to be able to, like, you can look at this world and put yourself in that situation because you're watching a free man have to struggle with it for the yeah. first time. Yeah. Uh, to me, the only negative in the movie, I think I've said this before, was Brad Pitt just felt like he came out of nowhere <laughs> and was 
just not believable. It was just like the producer wanted to be the hero of the movie. <laughs> I I was okay with Pitt though. Um, it did have that kind of feeling, but I, you know, yeah. weirdly enough, that's how it played out. Yeah, he's like, I, know, I, I'm white, here to end slavery. Eh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, he was basically uh, the ancestor of his character from uh, The Counselor because he was also Canadian in that, obviously. So I think, I think other movies probably made me feel more than 12 Years a Slave. But given the subject matter that it dealt with and how well it managed to pull it off, I, I, I feel like I have to put it on this list. Yeah, I, I think I knock it for that exact same reason because um, I feel like it should be there. So I automatically don't want to put it there because I feel like I'm being manipulated. Like not that the film is manip- manipulative, but I feel like I am being manipulated by it. So it's like, I just want to throw it out of contention so that I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> oh, and fun fun story about this movie. Uh, I watched a, like 11 p.m. showing of it. And when I was driving home, I got pulled over for a headlight and my eyes were red and the cop thought I was drunk and made me do a sobriety test. <laughs> <laughs> and when I told him that I had just come from a movie theater and had seen 12 Years a Slave, he had never heard of it. And he was like, oh, yeah. Tell me who's in it. Name the actors. And I, I don't know some <laughs> black guy. I can't pronounce his name. I'm like Chewy. <laughs> Chewy's in it. Uh... So that was a that was a good night. I mean, funny if you're just like I just came from Ender's Game, <laughs> and it was super super uh, sad. I just they ruined such a great book. <laughs> All right, so uh, we on to my number two. Go. For All it. right. All right. This is uh, this is my. This is my just a film that I think is just absolutely amazing. Uh, like of all these films that are on my list, I might have to justify to somebody that it's incredible. Um, G.I. Joe 2 Retaliation. It's undeniably <laughs> the best film of the year. It's actually, I put it at number one and number two. That's why I'm bringing Damn. it up now. Um, Yeah, it's that good. But no, this is the film that like, if anybody is like, okay, what should I go see? And I think that this should appeal to anybody walking in to see it. Um, and personally, I just think it's an incredible film. Uh, it's one that I was very vocal about early in the year uh, that Steven tweeted me several times based on things I tweeted about it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I almost wanted to leave it off the list just so that my list could be completely themed. Um, but I still feel that it, it belongs in this list because it is one of my favorite films of the year, one of my favorite films that I've ever seen, and that is Gravity. Gravity. Uh, there you go. Good timing, Steven. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought I thought it was going to be uh, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. You know, you know oh. like, oddly enough, uh, <laughs> on yeah. on Flickchart, like, uh, Hansel and Gretel isn't in the top 10, but it has won so many of its random pairings against other films. Like, I legitimately love Hansel <laughs> and Gretel Witch Hunters. It's a pretty fun, stupid movie. It like it's it's amazing. Like I I even said earlier in the year that like it's sad that I'm this far into the year and Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters is still my favorite <laughs> film of the year. And Two Guns made it pretty high in my flip. Two Guns. <laughs> it was pretty good too. It, I mean, let's be honest. Like yeah, but anyways, back to Gravity. Um, Gravity is, in my opinion, just a phenomenally amazing film. Um, I may or may not have watched a screener of it this morning before we recorded this episode, but. 
it is amazing. I had to rewatch it just to make sure that like I wasn't still weirded out. I think I may have liked it better than the first time I saw it in theaters. Mm. Um, I, I, rem- I remember you saying like that you didn't want to ever see it again. I, I didn't. Because you didn't want the experience ruined. I didn't, but I watched it in headphones with it super cranked up loud. So it was like as close to sensory deprivation as I could. And yeah. just like everything from the the visual presentation of the film the sound design of this film the like the, every category of movie that i love is contained in this film uh it's like when we when we did our review i said that just the scene when george clooney like right at the beginning of the film where he's like you know it's beautiful isn't it and the camera pans up and you just see the earth as it's rotating like it's still the second time brought a tear to my eye just like the visual of it um, is just that amazing and it's like there there are moments in this film that emotionally hit me again the second time I watched it even though I knew exactly the beats that were coming up because I had previously seen it um, it's it's just amazing um, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know what more to say about it it's gonna be a film that I will love forever I think um, I mean I can't be sure about that but it's amazing. The second time watching it, still amazing. Not seeing it on a huge giant screen was still amazing. Uh, and I really just feel the, uh, you know, our, our, our main characters trying to exist in this scenario that is beyond, like, comprehension from, comprehension from us, like, you know, walkers on the earth. Being in a, in a situation where, like, literally the other side of this wall is complete death everywhere. And I don't know, it's... It, it works on every possible level that a film can, I think. Um, and I just I just love it. I don't I will talk ramble on forever about it, uh, but I don't think I'm coherent anymore. So I will just <laughs> I will just pass it to you guys. Obviously, uh, one of the greatest technical achievements, I think, uh, of recent memory. I think people touted Avatar as like the big technical movie i really think this is it like i think that this is the movie that will stand the test of time not only with its effects i mean i also said this in my review for me the guy who sits here and usually says like you know this looks fake and everything i mean gravity was a movie complete cgi for the most part you know 98 percent or whatever and it looks completely convincing like completely authentic there it's so involving that uh you know after a while you're just almost questioning like okay so how did they shoot in space like how did they get cameras in space to do this like they almost killed sandra bullock (laughs) (laughs) they put sandra bullock and george Clooney in spacesuits and you know launched them up into space but i mean uh, that's that is the, the 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 strength of gravity is that um to to see to watch movies and usually see like the the mechanics behind it and to see gravity and just be completely blown away and to and to constantly think like how did they do this that is a rare achievement in movie making nowadays i think and that's why i think gravity deserves all the praise that it's getting and i also think just real fast that part of the reason why i may have actually liked it more is that I had already been blown away by how the hell did they possibly make this. So the second time I watched it, I was just fully invested in the experience as opposed right. to being like, I, I, I feel like they like punked 
uh, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney said, we're just going to go up to show you what it's like to be in zero G and then really put them in a life threatening situation. It's had yeah, cameras yeah. hidden everywhere. Um, so having been able to get that out of my system, rewatching it, I just was like, holy crap, this m- yeah. movie stands up to what I it mean, was. it's, it's a gut wrenching movie. Like I, it's definitely like the most, uh, you know, butthole puckering density <laughs> definitely i mean this is more like, more than wolf of wall street but i there's <laughs> there's some definite uh yeah no nobody's snorting coke out of out of buttholes in this but uh yeah no i mean like uh, 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 i don't know what i was gonna say but uh I'm, I'm glad to hear that it holds up like on a smaller screen obviously i figured it would but mm-hmm. i mean it is probably the best to see it like on that giant imax screen uh for sure, yeah. So, I'm going to have what I believe is an undefendable position, which is that I thought this movie was very good, like, well-made in every aspect. The technical ability of Alfonso uh, and ev- everyone involved just completely blew me away. Um, the acting was great. Everything should have been perfect for this movie, and for some reason, it did not do much for me. Huh. emotionally when i watched it and and mm. i don't know why because i i wanted to be completely immersed in this and i i could completely understand how it was an immersive experience and how it could have deserved every bit of praise that it got but for me for whatever reason watching it in in imax not in 3d but in imax so maybe not the complete experience. You were missing an extra D. That was the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there wasn't enough D in it. Uh, uh, <laughs> there was only two Ds. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just a double D movie. But yeah. I, I, I liked it a lot. I've been recommending it to most everyone else as the movie they should see that they will undoubtedly like. For whatever reason, to me, it did not do nearly as much as it seemed to do for most other people. So, completely indefensible position. Don't know why it happened. I would like to revisit it in isolation, maybe, without all the expectation built onto it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Well done. W- could not have made my list, and I don't know why. <laughs> I would say once it's out on Blu-ray, you pick up a Blu-ray and watch it in those new headphones of yours, of yours mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah being complete like not just like loud surround sound system but like being in headphones only it for some reason it's like that much more potent uh just because you're not like you can't hear people around you you hear just the sounds that the characters would be hearing um plus the music obviously but right and and i think that would have helped the because i could tell that it was a despite being all open space it's a very like claustrophobic movie oh yeah Uh, and for whatever reason that I couldn't transmute that feeling, like like I couldn't feel it when I was watching the movie. Huh. Uh, so I definitely think it deserves a rewatch because I have no idea what 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 set of factors led it to being a a good but not incredible movie to me. I mean, I definitely saw some other people who were kind of in the same boat, uh, other critics, but they were mostly criticizing it for the story, which I think is kind of really like i don't think the story matters in this movie obviously the story is very thin and uh it is the weakest part of the movie but i think everything else uh 
is so just on a different level, you know, yeah. on a higher level that it, you can overlook it. Because I, I feel like, I mean, this is, it's basically taking a very standard story and just completely, you know, beefing it up with, uh, you know, a very revolutionized, you know, viewpoint. And I think that that's what made it, you know, something grand. And I think that, uh, I remember the other thing I was going to say was that we were talking about unbroken takes and stuff in like before midnight, the unbroken takes in this movie are just insane. Like they are, I just, I, yeah, they were mind blowing to me. Like to see, like, especially obviously the opening sequence, but like the scene where like Sandra Bullock and is on like that one, uh, space station and all just comes apart and it's all in one take. Yeah. Right. That to me, that was very like, you know, goosebump inducing, uh, you know, that's what you go to the movies for is to see stuff like that. And they can really only do it in one take because they didn't have an extra space station up there. <laughs> they only had the one. <laughs> they only had the one uh, camera in space. Like those old Looney Tunes things. Like it's a trick I can only do once. <laughs> yeah. All right. Basically, I mean, like we said in our review, gravity ruined it for every other movie because you're just like, you're going to be sitting there watching, well, why is it this as good as gravity? Yeah. Like in terms of effects and everything. Yeah. All right. So are we on to our number ones then? <laughs> I think we are. I guess so. Right. Okay. Number one um, might be a controversial choice. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> but this was definitely... Uh, definitely my favorite movie of the year like i i kind of had a feeling that uh it would be like midway um and and by by the time the year wrapped up i was just like i just can't think of another movie that i just was thoroughly enjoyed by and uh it happens to be one of the uh well as of right now it's still the highest grossing movie of the year and that is uh iron man 3 really uh, wow yes i am Um, i am shocked I am so away. yeah. I you have impressed me with <laughs> this decision. Um, I know that uh, I know Chris loved it too. I know we had uh, that ridiculous random conversation about it. Um, but it was easily forgiven. Obviously, it wasn't regarding the movie itself. But uh, I mean, to me, I, I, there might be a little bit of bias toward it because like. Shane Black, who wrote and directed Iron Man 3, is legitimately my, like, personal hero. Um, But uh, I was kind of trepidatious because this is, like, the first big movie he's ever done. And obviously it's it's, it's a Marvel movie. It's a sequel. Like, I, you know, Iron Man 2 was fun, but it wasn't exactly the greatest. And uh, I, I just didn't know, like, what to expect. And obviously I was, like, the one person burned by the Avengers. So, like, I kind of had a feeling like, well, I felt like Joss Whedon's voice didn't come through fully for me on that movie. So I was just like, I don't know how much it's going to, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like. And um, I, like, the second this movie opened, I was like, this is, I, I love it. Like, the the fact that they played, like, Eiffel 65 blue, <laughs> that was, like, the funniest thing to me. Like, I was like, this is already, like, I, we can only go up from here. Um, and I was just like so happy to have his voice like come through so strongly uh, in this movie and completely like uh, gave like a fresh 
uh, shot to this series. Like, I, I think that for me personally, I think Iron Man 3 blows the first two out of the water. And Iron Man 1 is an amazing film. Um, and I think that uh, I think it's by far the best Marvel movie and uh, probably one of my favorite superhero movies. Like, I just think that I think it should be championed in the fact that it's super rare. Like, we got not only was this like a $200 million summer blockbuster that was, you know, smart and funny and constantly surprising. Like, obviously, there was a lot of people who didn't like the twist with the Mandarin, but. I mean, I thought that was just, like, genius. I was just, like, completely blown away by that, uh, the fact that they turned that on its head. Um, but not only that, but, like, we're getting it in, like, the third entry in a series, which is usually, like, the worst of, like, any superhero. Like, the third part in a superhero movie is usually, like, you know, complete crap. But uh, this was just, like, a, a whole new set of tools, like, being given to the to the movie and like a whole new outlook and, and, and energy and like Robert Downey Jr. I mean obviously he's amazing as Tony Stark but uh like I, I feel like him and Shane Black are like the perfect director actor like duo like they I mean they, they're up there with like some like you know like a DiCaprio Scorsese kind of thing like it's they just like they work so well together like and he can say like that you know, he's like Samuel Jackson in Tarantino movies. He can, like, say all that Shane Black dialogue. Like, it's just, you know, it makes it it makes it all pop. Like, I really feel like Iron Man 3 is kind of like the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang sequel that, you know, we were, like, hoping for, like, but ne- we're never going to get, you know? Like, this is, would be, like, the closest thing. I don't know. And I know it has, like, obviously, has a lot of detractors, but, like, I feel that it's just... I, I like I said I feel like it should be championed because you so rarely get a movie of this caliber like that comes like this late in a series and is like you know on this like level of budget and everything like I I just was completely had a great time with it and uh yeah like I I mean I love I love it so I, I mean it was definitely like a clear-cut choice that this would be uh my number one hmm. wow I'm I'm surprised. I mean, I, I, I very much enjoyed this movie. Like, I, I probably would have given it a must-see. I don't, I don't think I was on that episode. Uh, I, I mean, it definitely... I think it could be my favorite Marvel movie as well. But yeah. to me, it, that, that still didn't elevate it to the point where I would call it a, a fantastic movie or, or a great movie. Uh, it it does what it wants to do very, very well. It's entertaining. I didn't mind the plot twist at all. I, I, I think Chris talked to me about some of his problems with the the themes of the movie or or where it left you at the end. I, I don't remember. This could have been something else. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought the movie was totally great, like well done. Uh, I love Robert Downey Jr. The script was tight. Everything was good. But to me, it was still just a normal good blockbuster movie yeah and like i said it's probably a little bit of bias but like i just don't remember the last time like watching a movie of this like stature you know and like just being constantly surprised and like constantly entertained by all the little like you know non sequitur lines and stuff like just all the things sprinkled throughout so to be fair i think i have a bias too where I cannot imagine a movie like this 
of this style ever making a best of list for me. <laughs> and that is a, that is a bias, right? That's this bias that says yeah. that sadness is more meaningful than fun and blah blah blah, right? Like we 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 all kind of have this. Um and that is a bias and it, it, it's unfair to people who make these kind of movies, but Yeah. In my mind they don't deal with themes or tackle something that that could make me praise it as high as I have some of the other ones. Yeah, I mean, I, I will. I definitely liked Iron Man three. According to Flick Chart, it is my number ten film of oh. the year. Uh, and I think the the problems that I was talking to you about, Stephen, uh, were just that Iron Man became too strong by the end of the film, and then they just like, well, maybe if he just like blows up all of his suits, then he won't be that strong when the Avengers, the next Avengers movie shows up. So it felt like it felt cheap to like make him unbelievably powerful. And then reset him to the state at which he would just ignore having all that power going forward. Like, to me, it was like, well, uh, when Age of Ultron happens and they're fighting this giant, like, robot dude, wouldn't it <laughs> make sense Spader. if he had... Yeah, when they're fighting uh, James Spader Blacklist Man, wouldn't yeah. it make sense that, that since he's a robot, that he would have his, like, 25-man robot army help him fight Ultron? Um, uh, but I'm I'm assuming they will come up with a reason why that works. But like that, that was like just the the thinking about the construct of how that was going to work kind of detracted from the movie as a whole. But it was incredibly fun. I enjoyed it. Robert yeah. Downey Jr. could like act out the phone book and I would <laughs> watch it. Like It would be entertaining as hell. Yeah, it would, it would just, it, I, it, yeah. <laughs> that's, the other, that's the other thing about this movie is that they introduce a, a plot element that in the hands of someone else could have gone just completely wrong. And that was the whole side plot with the, the kid, the whose name character name I can't remember, but when he teams up with the like ten year old kid. In this yeah, movie, a little boy that finds him in his shed or whatever. Or, right. Yeah. And like in another movie, that just would have seemed like completely lame. But the fact that like Robert Downey just treats him like an adult and, you know, just has no like sentimentality for him was uh, again another like surprising facet and it was just completely hilarious and, and i will say that in general i am like so on board with marvel phase two that it's like uh, yeah i'm annoyed with myself how sucked into these stupid movies i am <laughs> like mm-hmm. i i like steven like i was like i could never like be super into these films like these films will never reach the level of like the dark knight franchise did and they they haven't but they realize that that's not what they're going for they yeah. are trying to be their own thing, and they have nailed it. They have sunk in. I had fun with Thor too. I'm excited for Captain America too. Like I, it's yeah. at this point, I am so on board with like all these rant. Like just make if every month a new Marvel movie came out, as long as they're at the level and the tone of these current ones, I would be like, hell yeah, dude, take all my money. I'm seeing all these stupid movies. Yeah, I I feel like that they've. Like, after, like, with Iron Man 3 and Thor 2 this year, they found the groove of, like, being just, like, consistently entertaining and, like, very light. Like, light and entertaining, not taking themselves so seriously. I mean, obviously, uh, I I like Thor 2, you know, obviously not as much, but, uh, I mean, that was just a fun movie. Like, I mean, when the movie starts off with Anthony Hopkins going, like, in the tab, in the dark, and, like, I, <laughs> like, you're already, like, once again, it was, like, uh, the Eiffel 65 thing, like, I, yeah. I'm, like, all right, like, I'm, I'm with this movie. <laughs> Before uh, light, there was only darkness, and in the darkness were the dark elves. <laughs> the dark elves, yeah, he said, like, darkness twice. 
which is hilarious. Uh, so yeah, like I and obviously I think with their their upcoming movies this year, like they they seem to are going to be continuing that trend. So yeah, which is good because in my mind, every time anyone else has tried to be the Dark Knight, it's been embarrassing. Like yeah. Like, Man of Steel, I don't know if, I don't think I ever talked about it with you guys, but I did not like that movie at all because I felt like it took itself too seriously and tried to be dark. Uh, and the canonical example is Spider-Man 3 where they tried to have some <laughs> some internal conflict and it wound up being just an abysmal failure. Which uh, I feel so. like is, you know, a great example of like the third part of a franchise that just is a total disaster. Yeah, so um, I, I'm glad that they don't, take themselves too seriously that they're willing to to have fun because nobody goes to a comic book movie to not have fun with the dark knight being maybe the only exception but that that kind of transcended comic book a while ago i think yeah but i i will to be to be completely frank and honest i love man of steel <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I um, did too. So like, if, if, I did not love Man of Steel. I, part part of the problem is that the way Flickchart's algorithm works and how it hasn't been paired against movies that I've been talking about right now. But if I were to just go based on Flickchart, uh, Man of Steel is my number four film of the year. Wow. I but, I yeah I will say that I liked I loved Man of Steel. Like it just yeah. I, I was completely not into that movie at all and and i think part of it is that i've just never superman i can't stand him because he's the invincible guy that still manages to have trouble all the time when he when he fights <laughs> well and yeah i just they, can't they, they finally put him against somebody else who's also invincible in yeah, fact know, the whole team of people it, who are invincible right it, it did not work for me at all uh, i i can't justify that either probably but i that was an eye-rolling <laughs> to whatever hours of, i mean there were a lot of, of detractors life. for man of steel for definitely um but i'm super stoked for batman versus superman oh, yeah, whatever sure. it's gonna be <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway iron man 3 uh i i think the 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 takeaway is just that, like i his shane black's voice came through like loud and clear in that movie and that was exactly what those kind of movies needed it needed that voice uh like a fresh voice and uh i i wish all summer blockbusters were that good but uh yeah so there you go all right well i'm just glad it wasn't like stoker or something like that i thought for sure <laughs> <laughs> i thought for sure oh, stoker was another good one yeah basically in in your comparison to wolf of wall I, like i wrote a little list of films that i thought you were going to be like super excited about carson and you covered them all when you said wolf of wall street the only one you hadn't covered was stoker i, so I was forgot like, about stoker i was like I stoker has to be his number one that's got to be it i forgot about stoker that should have been on the uh the cocaine list <laughs> all right well steven what is your top film of the year all right so my top film of the year uh it's a I think it marks the evolution of an actor who three years ago I would have laughed in your face if you told me he would be in my favorite movie of the year. Uh, and that is Dallas Buyers <laughs> Club with Matthew McConaughey. Um, really? Yes. I'm, yes, I'm surprised. Really. Yes. And I mean, of course, there are a lot of sappy other movies that maybe made me feel more deeply. But in my mind, this was the movie that was so good that I would, without reservation, recommend it to other people. And uh, not not just people exactly like me. Huh. Um, and so like 12 Years a Slave, I thought this dealt with something that had the potential to be a completely over-moralizing 
thing, right? Like the AIDS epidemic and how people deal with it. And and instead what I got was something with like heart and soul and a kind of like grit and rhythm to it that I, I really loved. I, I mean, I thought a terrible movie could have been made out of this. Uh, like where Matthew McConaughey could have been a gay character or someone who's Brad Pitt level, like sympathetic to it. And he's the voice of reason fighting against all these atrocities. And, and instead they made him play this unbelievably offensive, homophobic, like hick bigot douchebag uh, to start <laughs> to start with in the movie. Um, and, and the fact that they actually make you or made me anyway, really feel for him. I, I thought that was incredible. Um, like it had drug binges that I think are on par, at least stake wise with anything in Wolf of Wall Street. But instead of seeing it as like top of the world, it was a rock bottom thing that was difficult to watch. Mm. Like m- maybe more truthful to how being coked out of your mind would feel. <laughs> um, I-, I don't know. I I can't completely justify it. It had all of the like Americana nostalgia of like American Hustle or Argo to me or any great biopic. But something about his performance just completely drew me in. And, and Jared Leto was completely unrecognizable as that uh, flamboyant sidekick who is not a character that I would normally like in a movie. Like, I, I'm all for gay rights and gay marriage and gay everything. But I very rarely resonate with a character like that. Uh, and, and he managed to make me do it. And Jennifer Garner was fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think like the Jared Leto's character was a character that is almost like in a like he's a kind of character that you would see like really horribly portrayed in like a bad romantic comedy or something. Like yes. he was essentially playing like the the uh the gay friend. But exactly. in a much stronger uh role. Obviously I had like a I was joking, but I had like little ding that uh, you know, James Franco or Jared Leto has nothing on James Franco. But I mean uh Jared Leto is really really great in the movie like i i don't don't knock his performance at all uh because he is completely unrecognizable and also like matthew mcconaughey like talk about an incredible comeback like he has yeah, just been I on mean, a roll with mud and with uh mud well, and uh wolf of wall street obviously uh, yeah magic mike true uh uh god what interstellar coming up interstellar that, coming up that cowboy one right killer uh, joe killer uh, joe yeah, uh, Bernie. I mean, he's just been on a roll, uh, yeah. and uh, he's he's on the new uh, HBO show True Detective, which looks badass. Um, yeah, like he's just been like really killing it every every role he's got, and uh, I, I think I think I liked their performances more than the movie though. Like I I liked Matthew McConaughey, and I wish like he was kind of in a stronger movie, but. Uh, other than that like i agree with the performances like i to me the movie felt a little like shallow like i not like i just felt like it didn't it kind of went like through the motions it didn't really like go any deeper than like okay here's this guy and this is like you know aids is bad and uh Mm -hmm. I, i don't know it almost felt like at times it was sort of a tutorial about like the subject like it was kind of like cliff notes version um and also like i had a problem with the fact that it didn't look anything like the 80s but i don't that was just like a personal thing right so so i think 
I think to me, and, and I was trying to debate why I felt this way, because like Chris's reaction, I, I was surprised when this wound up on top of my list too, when I was making it. Um, and I was really doing these pairwise battles in my head, like what do I think was a better complete film than this? And in my mind, the it, it's true that the movie is almost entirely his character, but I thought he nailed that so perfectly and like hypnotically to me that I just had to give it give it to this movie. Don't expect other people to agree necessarily. I just getting a lot of praise. Like I mean, his performance alone is worth watching, even though I think like I said, I don't think the movie was as strong as him and Jared Leto, but like the fact that he like committed so much to the role is definitely uh worth praising. Yeah, I, I have I have not seen it, but I have definitely heard positive things about it. Like uh, the only time it's been brought up in conversation, um, in like other podcasts and stuff, is in a very positive note. Uh, it, I I saw the trailer one time for it, uh, and now I'm curious. I'm gonna have to check it out. So, yeah. So, what is the number one movie? Oh, oh can we make predictions of Chris? Because <laughs> I'm jumping between two in my head right now i i think i have i have a notion but well i want to i, I want to hear what both your predictions are and then okay. i will i will build up to it and then i'll <laughs> say what it is i won't answer whether or not you're correct um but go ahead uh steven what's your prediction so i'm i'm debating between a few like how chrissy am i going to go with <laughs> i'm gonna i'm 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 gonna go full no Ooh. <laughs> in my mind her could definitely be up there uh i feel like chris might go left field kind of like he did with safety not guaranteed last year which i loved by the way when i watched right it. yeah um i think i think chris might bust out of warm bodies actually <laughs> <laughs> um, i think that's actually what i'm gonna what i'm gonna put it put him on carson I'm guessing, uh, I think it's a toss-up between uh, Upstream Color and Gangster Squad. <laughs> gangster Squad? <laughs> oh, how yeah, Upstream you, Color could be there. How did dude. you know it was Gangster I, Squad? I did, you know, I just had an inkling. But no, I, in all seriousness, I, I, would, I would say Upstream Color. All right, well, for Steven's sake, I will say this. On Flickchart, uh, Warm Bodies has not lost a single pairing. In every yep. single situation in which Warm Bodies came up against another film, it won, and it's currently sitting at number three on my flick chart. Um, so it is not Warm Bodies. However, you were very clever in your figuring out what left field film could have possibly made it to the top. Um, obviously, Carson, you know that I care much about Upstream Color. It's currently sitting at number nine on flick, flick chart. Mm. Um, and it is not that, uh, but if you were very clever and you followed the progression of the films in my top five, we have Spectacular Now deals with relationships in high school. Short Term 12 deals with the re relationships at a little bit older age when you realize that like you're not the only one in the world that has problems and you're possibly getting involved in the problems of other people, uh, before midnight, Shows you what happens when, like, you've passed all those stages. Maybe you ended up married. Um, what film deals with even further in the future and what would happen after maybe your marriage didn't work out? Ah. Uh, her. Okay, yeah. so I, I squeezed that in there. So. You, you were definitely on track. But uh, 
obviously, I mean, it's more than on track. You said that as one of the two. So you had you had the correct one and also the left field possible. Um, both were very accurate as to um, what I cared about this year. Um, I mean, Warm Bodies. I love that film. I don't care how many people don't like it. Uh, it's I I had an amazing time with it. But is it? Fun movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched it on an airplane and got very tingly. No, it, it had it had so much, like <laughs> you're warm. I thought it was a cool idea, and what I got from it was a film that had so much more heart than what I think it should have. Uh, but anyways, back to her. Which, yes, yes, it is the, one of the most recent of all the films that I've seen. I saw it yesterday, but I did watch Spectacular Now and Gravity in between the time that I saw her and uh, this recording this review. So I had at least a chaser of two other films that I really cared about. Um, that being said, her just succeeds on a million different levels. Like it, it is the most crisp movie that could have come out this year. Um, everything from like, first of all, as Carson said earlier, world building is a thing that like I bring up in pretty much every single movie uh, that we talk about and the commitment to the world building in this film is so beyond like anything like I would not have expected even a film that worked on an emotional level to have achieved what this film does as far as creating this world I mean it's near future it's practically now but it's just the, t the tech is obviously better than what we have but it could be theoretically now this is all happening um, but like just the fact that the opening of the film the the card company that Joaquin Phoenix works at um, like that just the ideas of what that brings up like for me card writing is like my least favorite thing in the world uh every time i write a card i feel like i'm creating this fake like it, it doesn't feel authentic like it's never a thing that i feel like oh i'm like writing this beautiful message i feel like i'm trying to write something that sounds really important but it's probably not and like it, like just the idea of this world in which like our cards are i mean this isn't even part of the movie this is just like the beginning of the film and the job that he has like what that's saying about the world identified with me the idea of this ai that um i don't when you think about relationships like i've i have had relationships that built through people i've met online and then later like dated in person and like the idea that like the connection that you make with a person in if it's just text just voice just whatever like what part of that is real versus interacting with that person like i've been in long distance relationships where obviously we you know when we were outside of school we were together but then like when the school was back in session we were apart like what part of that relationship it, like even if you have no physical connection with a person that relationship is still 100 percent real and there's no way to like differentiate between i don't know they're, they're, this film is saying so many different things um and i think it does all of them amazingly and the like when it introduces elements like with the sexual surrogates and stuff like this is all real so believable stuff and even as odd as that scene might have been for walking phoenix's character the idea of who the person is playing that role i completely bought what she gets out of that relationship too like it, it's this world is so perfectly realized um and the emotions in it i feel super on board with too like i can totally see like being in walking phoenix's situation um i don't know it, 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 it's it's just like a perfect me film that's that's what i'll say yeah definitely i mean i i of course said my piece about it i put it at number five and that was partly me purposely handicapping it because i know that 
it was the last film that I've seen in theaters, and and I knew that that could that could edge out something that wasn't as fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, but fully deserves to be on this list. I mean, like everything I said before, I think it builds that world perfectly. Uh, it it did what for me should have been almost impossible as a person who works on AI and usually has you know eye roll moments anytime a movie tries to bring up technology yeah uh, and it made me actually care about that and believe everything that was happening i mean just a completely sweet movie that the sexual surrogate scene that you mentioned was like hilarious but but also realistic i, I could completely imagine that happening in the real world oh, yeah. or, or even the, the little details that didn't involve the os like t- towards the beginning he does this sort of chat roulette phone sex type of thing when he's laying down <laughs> yeah and that scene and was that, amazing by the way that i Dude. i 100% believe that a that would exist in this time and b that a person like him would do it and feel both dirty and good at the like like i completely understood his character in that moment yeah and the things that drives him to do this uh like am- amazing performance by him, am- amazing world building by uh, by Spike Jones. Just really good movie. Yeah, I was just I was just gonna throw out there. I don't know if you guys caught it um, in the at the end during the credits, but uh, the voice of sexy cat lady or whatever on the the phone sex scene that was uh, Kristen Wiig. Really, was, really, yeah. Which I thought you know, was funny. I, I actually thought it might have been Amy Adams. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually thought that would like be a her. weird twist in the movie that like she was the one that he was doing that with. Yeah, and a- <laughs> and apparently the voice right before Sexy Kitten or whatever that he like you know skips or whatever. Apparently that was uh, Bill Hader. So there's like no, a couple that's couple voice cameos right there that I, I thought nice. was. But like Kristen Wiig, like she has that very like kind of distinct voice. And so, like, I was completely surprised that it was her because I didn't pick up on it at all. Well, the, the scene, the, the part where she said, I just want to climb your hair, it was sort of a giveaway. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, I just wasn't even thinking that it would be her. Like, uh, I, I guess that's a testament to, like, how well cast this movie is because, like, even down to, like, the super minor roles, I thought, like, everyone was really great. Like, Chris Pratt as uh, Joaquin Phoenix's <laughs> Dude, boss. He was awesome. Like he was he was yeah. great. And uh, the one scene that uh, Olivia Wilde has, I thought was like really really, like she really stuck out. Like that she kind of formed a character. Like in just that one scene, like you got everything that you needed to know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like that was not a wasted. Uh, character or anything and even even that was like such a rough scene dude like, yeah <laughs> that was like heart-wrenching to me in like just the the weirdest most unfortunate way um yeah but yeah i i really loved um on, on slash film they were joking about like spike jones and he's like he's like yeah so in the story joaquin phoenix was married to rooney mara he gets to date <laughs> Olivia Wilde, and now he's in love with his operating system, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Like, what kind and of weird he, dream world is this? And he, yeah. he's like best friends with Amy Adams. Yeah, yeah. Like and basically, he Kristen Wiig with a cat. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, like the, those are all my fantasies. <laughs> no, pretty much. Like you throw in like a uh, little Anna Kendrick in there or something, <laughs> like a bunch of other people, and like it's it's a perfect. dash of Brie Larson. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, but no, like the. In all seriousness, though, like the 
like this is a fairly long movie and and it's not that it feels long it's just that like so much stuff happens in this and the story goes to so many different places and there is a really truly logical progression like a lot of films um can possibly run into the thing where like towards the end they're like oh well we have to end this somehow and they come up with some reason to like either break everything down or just find a way to end the story because they've like spent everything that they that that they've like all the ideas they had are now now gone so now it's like oh it's been two hours let's end this like this really feels like one complete arc that makes sense that all the beats along the way uh work perfectly and um yeah it's just it's it's amazing film and screw all you people who like groaned in the theater when the trailer came out because this film is so much more than you could expect and uh yeah everybody should go see it definitely yeah agreed i also offline with spoilers i uh i I had some interesting conversations with my friend also in ai about what the ending means and what the implications of that would be uh it's a well-crafted movie from beginning to end I, i mean largely a love story of course but even just an interesting futuristic universe, even if you are a heartless monster who can't feel anything. <laughs> yeah, <you> Carson. Still... <laughs> yeah, yeah, even Carson might get something out of this. Uh, did... No, I told you, I was like right from the uh, opening title card. I was like, I was getting very sappy. Just, just, just yeah. real fast, so just in case anybody heard weird stuff like I did, you said your friend also in AI, meaning somebody who also yes. works in AI, not all, yeah, your so friend. Like a person who also... <laughs> does research in ai because somebody could have read that as your friend also an ai like you have a friend yes. who's like some oh yeah i took like a I robot took Frank to go or watch this movie <laughs> <laughs> um anyways uh so those are our top fives of the year we are already above the uh the two hour mark so do you guys want to just skip our crappy films of the year and just tell everybody what you're excited for coming up this next year and then maybe call it a episode i feel like we should mention at least like what we thought was like the worst movie of the year because i feel like i feel like it's worth mentioning but before we do that i do i want to edge in just a tiny bit because there were a few movies that like drove me crazy that they got bumped from this list um and i i won't i won't say all of them I, i will say the one one movie that did not make this list only because I had no idea how to rank it or where to put it uh, was the documentary The Act of Killing, which I watched. Oh yeah, which I watched last week, and I have not rewatched it, so I have no idea how it bears up. I, I don't think I ever will rewatch it. Uh, I saw it alone with my noise canceling headphones, uh, a little bit tired late at night, and this movie is a documentary about basically a genocide that was committed where the killers are openly living in Indonesia and describing and acting out in detail what they did and how they did it and justifying it. And to me, this was a completely hypnotic movie that, I mean, I sat there with the screen black like a half hour after it finished. Um, I thought this was a very powerful film that didn't deserve in my mind to be placed with the others because it's reality like it, it it isn't the same as a movie um but i would very much encourage anyone to see it i i even have a thing on facebook where i've been offering to gift it on itunes to people who messaged me and asked for it uh so i definitely think this is a very 
hard movie to watch, but a very good movie that anyone who thinks they could stomach it should go out and watch because I think it's very profound. So yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't go without at least mentioning it. Definitely the best documentary of this year and of like ever. Like honestly, like I, I think that like the format of this movie, of this documentary, the approach to it is like, it's one of those things where you're like, I'm surprised this hasn't been done before. And like, why didn't I think of that? Like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's surprising that someone else hasn't done it already, but I, it's, it's, it's a really mind blowing movie yeah. to watch. I, I have it ready to watch. I haven't got a chance to watch it, but I'll probably be watching it here in the next week sometime. Um, and then I will probably agree with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So definitely go see it you should when, when you're making the landing page make sure this is under <laughs> under my <laughs> list because i i don't want to not have recommended like prior to this morning this movie was number two on my list and it was only bumped because i felt that films with cinema like i don't know cinema to me is different than this and i couldn't i couldn't put it in an ordered list with the others gotcha it definitely should be in the little uh mosaic that would be at the top of the episode or whatever yeah <laughs> cool uh do you have anything that you'd like to recommend like in the same form carson uh no i mean i can't really think of anything uh well i mean just one movie that immediately comes to mind i thought was the best looking movie of the year was uh and also kind of hard to watch but worth watching was prisoners uh, I think that like that was just a a really uh, engrossing watch, and it just was just awesome acting and uh, yeah, like my my pick for best looking movie of the year was was that right. best cinematography from the legendary Roger Deakins. Very nice. Um, I I'll just throw out a random one, not so random. It, it's a film that like I don't think like we talked about it on the podcast. I don't think it was like widely praised and but I it I really enjoyed it and I also rewatched that recently but uh side effects. Uh, oh yeah. I yeah. Th- I think that's one of the most competent interesting thrillers of this year um and I don't think enough people saw it so I want to throw that out. It's also a beautiful looking film um Oh yeah. So side effects people should check it out. And hey. as far as indies go you know I'll, I'll just blow through them but on any given year, I thought uh, Nebraska, The Kings of Summer, The Way Way Back, Francis High, all also could have made my list, and they haven't been mentioned yet. Uh, so th- this was a very good year for indie filmmaking. I I also watched Francis Ha recently because you guys were both talking about it on our last review. Um, I very much enjoyed that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to jump in with you guys and say I had a great yeah. time with it also. And I, I, I really... With... Yeah, sorry. I I mean, I could throw in, like, Captain Phillips, I actually thought as that far was as good the too, thrilling yeah. movie went, the last 10 minutes were amazing, like like very good. Uh, funniest movie, This is the End. <laughs> I, oh. I really like that movie. Hands down, I, it couldn't, movie. It couldn't possibly make a list that had 12 Years a Slave on it. <laughs> 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 Although and, I do think uh, The World's End is uh, is comes very close. Mm, I thought This is the End was much funnier than No, I, I agree, but I, I feel like The World's End, uh, different style of humor but uh also very worthy of praise plus you'd already eaten all that ice cream so you had to praise it 
<laughs> yes. And in the family-friendly but still made me feel things, which might not be agreed on here, I actually really enjoyed uh, Saving Mr. Banks <laughs> when I saw it oh. <laughs> alone. I mean, it, that actually like brought tears to my eyes. I, I thought it was a really nice movie. Huh. I think I, I talked about it last week on Multimedia yeah, I think, or something. I think we joked about it last week. Yeah, I did not like that movie. Yeah, I, I've. it seems like it's getting some like really terrible critical bashing. Like People are like outrageously angry at that movie for some reason i have not seen it yeah i thought it i thought the flashbacks in saving mr banks like completely blue balled the entire movie and i think that they they had like the wrong to me they had like completely different tone from everything else in the movie and uh uh the acting was great but i mean i don't know it's just something about it like i wanted more of like the behind the scenes like i I felt like reading the uh imdb trivia on mary poppins was more interesting and Mm. like more i don't know uh engaging but i just felt like saving mr banks just like barely scratched scratched the surface and they're trying to have it both ways of you know the making of mary poppins and then like the making of her writing mary poppins like where she got that inspiration Mm -hmm. it's just too much for me it charmed the crap out of me (laughs) um like the let's go fly a kite scene towards the end just i don't i don't care it it was a little stupid i know it played with the truth a lot and made disney out to be a like brad pitt in 12 years of slave it made a production entity involved look like a savior (laughs) in the movie uh but whatever it was nice if if you're with a family i think it's the best family film i've seen this year I've not seen Frozen. I was just going to say, like, yeah, I was going to say Frozen is the film that surprised me the most out of all my flick chart picks. Frozen beat out so many picks that I was like, oh, yeah, holy crap. Like, I didn't realize how much I like Frozen, but it's sitting at number 11 on my flick chart list. That's Frozen. Definitely best animated movie of the year. Family movie animated, whatever. Uh, I was going to say something I think no one else agrees with, but uh, Escape from Tomorrow, in my opinion, had had more... uh, It's a better Disney movie than than Saving Mr. Banks. I seriously think it had more Disney whimsy than Saving Mr. Banks. Uh, But yeah, Frozen definitely is the Disney champion, I think. All right, so... True Disney champion. Did did you still want to mention your worst films? Oh, I was just going to say, and I think you'll agree, I think, like, by far, and I think this is interchangeable between both movies, by far the laziest, worst movie of the year was uh, Machete Kills. Yep, that's on my list. (laughs) Yep. And uh, if you want to toss it up, I think Texas Chainsaw 3D was equally as lazy and uh, uh, awful as, uh, as Machete Kills. Yeah, my my unordered list is Jack the Giant Slayer, Texas Chainsaw 3D, Machete Kills, The Fifth Estate, and Burt Wonderstone. <laughs> Those all worthy contenders. I, I've got to say Grown Ups 2, which I saw a total of three times on airplanes. <laughs> Whoa. You, you deserve that. <laughs> yeah. Um, hated that movie so so much. But and I, also the, the dubbing in The Heat was maybe the worst thing I've seen this year. The airplane dubbing of The Heat. <laughs> uh, they, they took every funny melissa mccarthy scene and made them pg insane well like like the scene which is even in the trailer where she's talking about like the captain's balls um they changed that to has anyone seen the captain's brains 
you know, like <laughs> like little girl brains. If little girls had brains, that's <laughs> so bad. That's pretty really lame. bad. That's pretty Wor- lame. worse than this is what happens when you meet a stranger in the Alps, which I also saw. Um, that's the Big Lebowski dub. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty bad. I I I'll also throw out um um the Mortal Instruments City of Bones. That was Ooh, that probably. Was bad. That was bad. Uh, talk about uh, uh, teen, you know, I guess, whatever the, like, fantasy young adult novels trying to kickstart a franchise. Uh, the fact that it ended with the two main love interests finding out they're actually brother and sister, but then at the end, they're just like, well, I don't really believe it, so we're just going to stay boyfriend and girlfriend, <laughs> was completely, like, just, what the hell? Like, that was a that was a complete, like, what the, f- what, what the F moment. What was one of the, uh, one of the love interests, Jonah Hill? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't, but, uh, uh okay. it should have been. That would have been a lot more entertaining. But, yeah, uh, also, I think, by f- as, as far as, like, worst family fair goes walking with dinosaurs for sure like even more than the smurfs too like i think walking with dinosaurs it was again very lazy like the like the dinosaurs don't even talk like their mouths don't even move it's just like justin long and john leguizamo doing voiceover and you're just like i I, really like that's it it's almost like they had like they just took like the the footage from the show and then just added on celebrity voices and added in like poop jokes and stuff <laughs> which was pretty bad all right well let's let's hurry up and just hit real fast what are you most anticipated for or what are you most excited for this upcoming year carson uh obviously i mean i think we're all excited for interstellar uh i kind of mentioned not a movie but i'm really excited for true detective like matthew bucane is just killing it man um and uh <laughs> It's probably going to suck balls, and I hated the first one, but I'm actually really excited to see what kind of hot mess The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is going to turn out to be, because I feel like it's just going to be like a Batman and uh, Robin-style disaster, because it's just, they're building it up to be just like, I'm like, oh, this is going to be like, it's just going to be ridiculous. If they pull it off, then awesome, but uh, I don't know, but they, they got some good good actors in the second one man like uh so that's cricket. kind of cricket cricket is uh the new harry osborne there you and, go and uh paul giamatti and jamie fox like obviously it's a stack cast i i, um, I really like the first one the reboot i'm so scared for the second one oh let me tell you why, like i oh, yeah. like not in a fun happy way like you are like i don't want them to ruin it they're trying to marvel face to it but sony right. bought the stupid marvel property so it's gonna be all jacked up in its own they're thing they're trying to they're trying to marvel it, but with just one movie, and I feel like it's going to backfire. The trailer immensely. looks like they're trying to Spider-Man 3 it, which is a bad idea. It didn't work That's out for Spider-Man yeah. 3. It, they, keep, they keep saying they're going to have like all these villains that they're introducing, and it's like, yeah, didn't you see Spider-Man 3? Like That didn't work at all. No, they didn't watch it either. <laughs> no, I don't think so. So uh, I'll be interested. I'm interested to see where that goes, because it could be, oh boy, it could be a could be a mess steven yeah uh so i think one is grand budapest hotel uh so moonrise kingdom made my top list last year and in hindsight it might actually have been my favorite <laughs> i think it might have edged out no I, I don't know i think looper still held up definitely um 
but I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. Loved what he did with Moonrise Kingdom. I like how he seems to be honing his style even more. And Grand Budapest Hotel, from every indication of the trailer, will be even more Wes Anderson-y. Oh, it, than, looks, uh, it looks so great. Th- and that's not one. sarcastic. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, as far as the train wreck thing goes, uh, The Hobbit, I really, I really want to know if they can salvage it. <laughs> because I was not a big fan of The Hobbit 1. I thought The Hobbit 2 was a little better, but still far from great. Um, yeah. I want to see if Peter Jackson can respond to criticism and pull out an actual epic ending for this epic that he's been building it up to be which it didn't need to be but now he's made it an epic movie without epic moments in it but all all that's really left is is smog has to be hit by a black arrow right that's all that's left in the story (laughs) uh, yeah pretty much i mean he's gonna have to throw in some heavy silmarillion yeah to make it work out i know that they're like trying to combine the two like they're trying to link it up but i don't know how much is yeah i don't know yeah, I'm curious. And then for 21 Jump Street was one of the funniest movies to oh, me, yeah. uh, back when it came out. And I have I have not even seen the trailer. I just know that 22 Jump Street exists, and I'm looking forward to that. Dude, the trailer is as magical as I hoped it would be. Carson linked me to it, but I still haven't watched it yet. So I have to get <laughs> caught up on figuring out what 22 Jump Street trailer is all about. But I, I, I agree, the yeah. first film... I, d- I didn't even want to see the movie, and then I saw the movie, and I was like, what was wrong with me? This is the most amazing comedy ever. Yeah. It, it like, yeah. There's there's a line in the trailer that Ice Cube has that I'm still laughing over. Like, I, I must have watched that, like, ten times. Just that line. It's just, I'm already, like, super, super excited for it. Cool. Uh, I am super excited for Transcendence. I think, uh, speaking of AI going horribly wrong, or, or wrong, awry, uh, <laughs> um, Transcendence looks pretty awesome. Uh, even though Carson is going to poop all over it, I still am very excited for Dawn of the no, Planet I, of the Apes. Um, oh, I was going to say, I think Transcendence looks pretty cool. No, no, yeah, but I mean, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I know I know you don't, you don't like it, you're not excited, but in the trailer, when it's like normal, like, normal military post-apocalyptic movie trailer starts and that moment where he's like i need to speak to caesar dude i'm just uh, like oh hell yeah jason um, clark he's not gonna be uh caesar's buddy that's for sure i'm very very excited obviously how to train your dragon 2 um oh yes of course. Should be oh, good. Yeah, of course and the last thing i want to mention is a film that it better freaking come out this year i don't know where the hell it's been but the philosophers i want to see this damn movie so bad um, is that the one we talked about the trailer for? Like with all the, like, the students? We talked about the trailer like two years ago. I don't know where the hell this movie is. It's probably that looks pretty cool. It's probably come out in Russia or something already. But it, <laughs> it's basically, it's it's the whole like, uh, you know, we're all going to be in the shelter. Who do we bring? The doctors or the whatever. But it's a bunch of students. And then it's not clear from the trailer whether like the consequences of the decisions they make are real or if they're being imagined by the students in the constructs of this. It's, it's, it's the classic like, <laughs> We have to survive. Who do we take with us to survive? And how that plays out in this group. And the movie, the freaking trailer looks awesome. I don't even know if they've shown it anywhere other than online through different places that had it. But this movie was supposed to be out sometime earlier this year or in 2013. And uh, it hasn't yet. And I have no idea if there's a release date for it. But I I don't either, yeah. I'm very excited for it. It's kind of lost in the shuffle, but... Better come out I, sometime. I, I will also throw out uh, Gone Girl, David Fincher's new movie that he's shooting now. It comes out this year. Is there is ben there a trailer Affleck. for it yet? Not a trailer, but it comes out in October. 
early October this year, and uh, Ben Affleck is in it, who's also on an incredible role. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, uh, I think that's the end of our year-ending recap. Yes, uh, I, I think so. Okay. Well, here's to uh, the passing of 2013 and uh, a good look into next year. Hopefully, all these films we're excited about pan out, and uh, you know, it, it'd be awesome to see the film industry as a whole on this rise of churning out really awesome things and. Um, you know, not just trying to put anything in theaters that will make a buck. Oh, yeah. Did you guys see online? They said that this was like the biggest box office year ever or something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, I saw that. Yeah. So all those people that have been talking about how terrible everything's been going for the movie industry all year long, you just suck it. <laughs> like, You guys have plenty of money. Shut the hell up. I mean, yeah. there was definitely a lot. Like Steven said, there was a lot to offer this year. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of movies that like garnered you know a lot of buzz like like gravity it was like if you're not seeing gravity then you know you suck yeah you can just so get the hell just, out <laughs> yeah you just you gotta see gravity like you gotta see you know spring breakers it's crazy or whatever <laughs> uh so yeah cool all right well uh let's say goodbye uh, carson if people want to find you throughout the week where can they do that uh you can go to practicalcandy.wordpress.com uh steven uh, if you want to find me, you can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. You can find me at uh, christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get all the back episodes of the show. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning to figure out when all these episodes go live or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. Music for this episode is going to come from this uh, phenomenally amazing video called The Final Cut 2013 Cinema Tribute, edited by Nick Bosworth, and it can be found over at the joblo.com YouTube page where... Uh, uh, I think we advise that you go right now and uh, click the link in the show notes and watch this video because it is an awesome look at this past year of film. So, uh, yes. Thank you guys uh, for joining me for this epic two and a half hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still don't think it's as long as the uh, uh, the Dark Knight episode from a few years ago. Or maybe Inception. One of the Nolan ones made it to almost <laughs> yeah. three hours. I think. I think. I think both of those were, were fairly long. Yeah. Uh, Longer than two hours. But back then, were we doing the multiple segments, or was that just a review? Also. No. It was, oh no! It was the multiple segments. Okay. Yeah. That's for true. Uh, Inception, I think. I don't know about Dark Knight Rises. But then again, technically, this is like a segment per slot in our movie list, so it's yeah, yeah it's still comparable. So. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys all for listening. If you made it this far. If not, then I don't know who I'm talking to. So, <laughs> if you did, then what are you doing? Yeah. You're talking to you're talking to space. <laughs> are you on like a very long drive somewhere? Yeah, I'm talking to lis- yes. listeners in the blind. If you're still with us, thank you. Everyone else, suffocate. <laughs> Actually, I think I said that at the end of our uh, gravity review. Didn't I say something similar to that? I, probably. I don't. I was remember. like, if you if you didn't stick with us and you can die in the vacuum of space or something. I don't remember. Yes. I don't mean that, of course. I love all no. of you, except for the ones not listening. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and hit stop now. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. It's been a good year. <laughs> Try to have fun. Otherwise, 
What's the point?